Welcome to Walking Backwards. I'm Brad Grimet. This week I have Guy B on the show, and Guy is an ex Steadicam operator, now a director. And it was great to hear so many cool stories about all the all the really great movies Guy worked on as a Steadicam operator, and then also hear all about his directing on television. Um, he had great stories about both, and he can really he can really uh, match me as far as talking goes. So it was. Um, it was good. It was really great. And, um, it's, it's a long one because there's just so much we could have talked for hours longer, but, um, I hope you enjoy what we did talk about. If you'd like to get in touch, email me at walking backwards podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Guy B. Guy <laughs> B is here. <laughs> Director, ex cam operator, Guy B. How I would, I would still operate Steadicam if, uh, I think I could handle it. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm taking yoga to kind of get my flexibility back, but um, yeah, I I say it all the time. Uh, cam- camera operating and Steadicam being your specialty in particular is the world's greatest job. I'm convinced of it um, for a couple different reasons. I think anybody that that knows the world would probably agree with me. I mean, you know, I, I'll take an actor's paycheck, but I think the, the actual job is is pretty much the greatest. It's definitely the greatest job in the movie business, and I, th- you know, I'm a little biased, but I think it's the greatest job in the world. You think it's better than directing? Yeah, f- yeah. I mean, look, a couple different reasons why. I mean, obviously, I I set out to be a director. You know, when I was 10 years old, after I came walking out of Jaws in 1975. And you can do the math and figure out how old I am, but um, so yeah, that was always my goal. And I and but I, I always felt like being a camera operator was the next best thing, and it felt like a logical jump to when uh, when I did get my shot to direct, which is now God, nineteen years ago. Um, after being a camera operator for you know, roughly eleven, twelve years, I felt like I had the 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 knowledge to do it, and I always felt like a director in training anyway. So working with actors came kind of second nature Mm -hmm. so obviously that's been the goal that's and i and now i really am convinced that you know it's it's the greatest job but and the caveat being that at the end of a day as a director a lot of times my day is just beginning because i'm thinking about what i just did decompressing um and then i have easily two hours worth of homework just thinking about what i'm going to do the next day shot listing or kind of conceptualizing how i want to do it i look at a lot of maps and you know my of you know the that the production designer provides and mm-hmm. think about, you know, tackling the next day. But as a camera operator, why, why it might be slightly better is that it's, um, when they say it's a wrap, it's a wrap, you know, your mind switches off and, you know, you, you consult that call sheet and you say, okay, I, I don't really have to, you know, be on or thinking about anything creative till like roughly six thirty seven a.m. tomorrow. And like I said, as a director, I mean, I'm, I think, you know, for me in, in the world of episodic, it's an eight, nine day stint some day some episodes um and se- some are seven days now i feel like the entire time i'm working i really don't feel like there's a there's a time where i can really shut the mind i mean obviously you sleep but um right and you and i'm sure you get plenty of curveballs thrown at you like you know yeah. you always hear like oh we lost the location or yeah we, that's, you know. a, that's a classic one the other is is um an actor being sick or a crew member being sick and, and it's like okay uh all right you know um if you're Steadicam operator sick, suddenly you can't get anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> suddenly you don't have a the Strap big Steadicam. Strap it on. Cam, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, it's funny. I'll still jump on and, and every great once in a while, like operate a shot or, you know, throw it on my shoulder for a shot or just maybe just a line up, like rehearse. Just have a look, yeah. 
Yeah, but um, it does really sort of upset the apple cart. Everyone's like, oh, look over here. Tough guy thinks, thinks he still has it, which, you know, it's not what I'm trying to do. But And yeah. then, um, yeah, so it's better for me just to sit back and not. That was one of the first lessons I got probably the weekend before I started directing um, on a show called Third Watch in New York. John Wells and Chris Chulak took me out to breakfast and said, okay, here's a list of things that we just think you should know. Don't hide behind that map box and eyepiece because the actors will turn on you. They don't. They're not going to do it out of any 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 spite or anything, and they don't even realize they're doing it. But if they feel like they're, you're not 100% involved in what they're doing, performance-wise, that it's it's going to get ugly. Mm. It's just been our experience, and they were right. I mean, I didn't do that, but um, I knew that if I if wait I, they had you wait so you weren't you weren't operating and directing no no I once I once they gave me an episode to direct um, which would have been episode 13 season 1 December of 99 so yeah we're coming up on 19 years now mm-hmm. um, I had the whole I did episode 13 so the whole of episode 12 I prepped but the first 11 I was the camera operator which was great I mean it was the, uh, the best possible way to become a, a a director was mm-hmm. I was there for the pilot and we knew we were put for 12 which is means that you know one of John's deals at the time with Warner Brothers was a certain amount of pilots and pilots plus 12 put um, so he did third watch and West Wing at the same time and uh, so I we knew doing the pilot that it was going to go another 12 episodes so I don't know how how much that would brought was broadcast to the cat the crew but i think most of the cast knew because that was a big part of making their deals was like hey you know it's not just a pilot it's we're all we're all you know we're going to sign this contract guarantee 12 yeah right. so that was part of my deal was you know come and help us set the look of the pilot and stay stay in new york and uh and we'll let you direct an episode of course it turned out to be the last episode but we got picked up probably around episode six or seven for a back nine so oh. i knew i knew we were gonna do a full 22 um, so, you know, my focus was to, uh, you know, do the best job I could in the first 11 to kind of, you know, establish from the pilot, establish a style. So, you know, going into the pilot that you were going to get to direct yeah, an episode. Yeah, I didn't. That's so cool. Yeah, I didn't know, let a lot of people know that. Um, some of the key people, some of the actors kind of figured it out, which was good, though, because, you know, like the cameraman, Glenn Kershaw, who, who's gone on to be a good friend of mine and I was in the Criminal Minds world, um, you know, we'd be somewhere in the middle of episode five or nine or 10 or something and he'd just nudge me and go just think about it be you know this time a month and a half from now it's going to be you're going to be directing dude it's going to be so great so it was nice to have you know that ramp up so it kind of prepared everybody it just let everybody know that yeah you know like I said not everybody knew I I didn't you know it was was a little weird I mean I I didn't want to jinx it I didn't want you know because it was funny because the year before you don't want to tell everybody yeah yeah and and in the year before that almost that exact same crew was doing a show for John and they got canceled after seven Mm. And that could have happened because my whole deal was on a handshake to become a you know director and of sure. course you know they gave me the the last one seemingly. Um, but anyway, so that that's uh, that's how I kind of became a director. I was able to um, trade sort of my my skill, I guess, as, as Steadicam, and also knowing that you know Chris Chulak and I had a shorthand when it came to blocking and rehearsing, and so I he you know he kind of called me. It was funny in '98 we did a pilot that didn't get picked up, wasn't put. Um, and then John Wells called me at the beginning of 99 and said, Hey, you know, um, we're going to do two more this year. One's about the vice pre- or about the president 
and his team that work for him in the in the west wing of the white house beautifully written by this some hack named aaron sorkin just kidding <laughs> and i was like jesus yeah a few good men i know aaron and you know he had sports night was on uh-huh. or i know his work sure and then he goes we're gonna do another one we're probably gonna you know we're not quite sure exactly what it's gonna be yet but it, it's probably gonna take place in new york city you know i was really upset about nbc canceling trinity early and so i think we're gonna um we're going to mount something in New York City. And I said, you know, and that's the one that Chris was going to direct. And I said, well, look, you know, Chris and I are a good team. And I, and so that was my deal. Once they, they knew they were going to do 12, they said, you know, hey, come and do the pilot. And if that's all you want to do, great. If not, you can stay and do the whole thir- first 13 and we'll let you direct one. So when they, okay, when they said we'll let you direct one, was that because they instinctually knew you wanted to direct or had you been planting seeds for yeah, years? Well, I planted seeds for years. <laughs> well, it was funny because. And how'd you do that? Well, what was fun is I, the first two seasons of ER, as the camera operator steady cam, I kind of fell into it, I think, around episode six. They were having problems with the original guy, and it just wasn't a happy place. And so um, I was recommended to them by a director named Vern Gillum, sweetheart of a guy that said, hey, you know, I just happened to run into him. And he said, hey, I just worked on this show on Warner Brothers. Really great show. Tons of really cool steady cam, but I just couldn't get this operator to do what you know, I was asking him to do, and he, when he did it, he was in a bad mood, and all these horror. And I was like, "Well, that breaks my heart." I mean, Steadicam operators—you're supposed to be a problem solver and, and right. the, the, the joy of a director's life, right? Sure. So he goes, "I'm going to put you in touch with these guys." And I go, "Yeah, give them my number. That's you know, that's cool." So a week, two weeks went by, and um, they called me and said, "Hey, you know, we're we're we've had it. Um, there was an incident on the set today, and we're we're placing this guy as soon as possible. Can you come in and meet with the with the cameraman and the producer Chris Julak and the cameraman at the time Richard Thorpe?" And uh, when, if you're interested, you know, you, we, we might offer you the job. So went and talked to him, and uh, it was good because at the time I had, at, I think, now she's almost 24, but my daughter at the time, Taylor, who's just got a master's degree in psychology. Wow. I know. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> um, she was about three or four months old. So that shows how long ago that was. Yeah. And it was a chance to stay in town because, as you know, I mean, you get a call and you're gone for six, nine months, you know, or nowadays with so much production happening in uh, Atlanta, et cetera, you may be gone for a full season, nine months, like I said. So yeah. um, the chance to, and I was on the road a lot, the chance to be at Warner Brothers. And at the time I lived in Studio City, so it was like a 10-minute drive. It was enticing, and so they go. Look, we got. We know our ratings are good. We're pretty sure we're going to go. And you knew April. the show already. A little bit. I I I I'd seen like I don't know if I'd seen a whole episode. But people were talking about. People it. were talking. My mom right. was a huge television fan, and she told me about the show that you know you, you got to see this. It's the camera moves really, you know, like it's what you do, and so I was aware of it. So um, it was just all synchronicity and timing. It, it you know it was, it was meant to be, and so. All those years doing, you know, the first two seasons of ER, we talked a little bit about directing and, 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 you know, we teased it a little bit. And then once I moved on in 96 and started doing some movies and other stuff, um, I would get a call from Chris or John or the office, you know, the ER production office. And they, you know, the way they perpetuated the idea that they shot in Chicago, even though they shot in Burbank. Well, they did shoot in Chicago like twice a year, right? Yeah, they would do what... Like, I would say even more, like six, every six to eight eight weeks, Mm. they would take a... um, a handful of directors, producers, um, and they would pick up a local crew, mostly. I know a bunch of those guys. I yeah. worked with a bunch of those guys. They said right. it was great. It was <laughs> they fun. They loved those days. It was great, except if you should, you know, the January episodes were horrible. And that's, the, I remember doing one of those, an entire episode with and McGregor in January. It was just horrible. But that's <laughs> Chicago in January. Yeah. So over, so they would call me and go, hey, 
um, we're going to do another Chicago unit. If you're not working, we'd love to take you because there's, again, that shorthand. Um, you know, because a lot of, a lot of the, I mean, you do three or four moves a day. We literally jump out of a van, rehearse with my fingers, and we'd say, okay, we're going to come around this corner. It comes down off the L train track. It's Noah and Eric, and then they're going to walk into here and we'll pan right, and that's it. And then we're moving on. And so we'd rehearse it once. I'd go back to the the van. They'd hand me the steady cam. We would go do. So you'd rehearse it without the rig. Yeah, we just and then you'd roll. Yeah, we would. That's how down and dirty some of those units were. Wow. But, and there was a shorthand again that where you know they knew that they could throw anything at me, and I would I would go sure I'll do it. You know, thirty something years old. I'll, yeah, I can do it. Right. So. It was kind of a fun, interesting thing because I would show up at the airport and there would be the whole, you know, there would be cast and directors and producers and writers and they'd all be in first class and I would have like a coach seat. Well, this lasted one flight. One of the producers, director, or one of the producer uh, writers, um, oh God, her name will come to me in a minute. Carol Flint, I believe, said, oh no, oh no. She this, saw you back this there. This <laughs> does not happen. And I was like, Carol, it's cool. It's cool. I'm a technician. Don't worry. And she's like, no, you are. Anyway, to make a long story short, I would stay with them at the Ritz-Carlton. And um, we'd go out to some really decent meals. If you've ever been to Chicago, you know it's some of the best food. In the, of you know, course. The land of large portions, like they call it. Yeah. It's the only place where you get a steak. You, you order a steak and you can't see the plate. Like there's a plate <laughs> under here somewhere. I know it's it's... Or like rose butter, you name it. We that was my thing when I was in Chicago. Every every Sunday, I would go for steak. Sunday was steak night. So I would go to like a different place. Yeah. I checked out. I would get advice from, especially one of the Dolly Grips was like a big steak guy. There you so go. Like, oh, you got to try this place. You got to try this place. You know. Well, that was fun. I The last time I was in Chicago working, it was a show called APB, which is only went 13. I think I did episode 12 of the 13, but they put me down. At, uh, they put all the directors, I guess, all the writers as well, and guest actors at the Thompson, which is the Gold Coast. And I've stayed, I've stayed. That's yeah. where I stayed. Too. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so that's the, a Fox the, thing, I guess. Or I don't know. This, yeah, it might have been, but it was so funny because you know, just to wind everybody. Viagra up. Triangle. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, <laughs> it's like, what they call it. You can't, you, you, you can't, and you, I, we always say you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a really great restaurant. But my, that's true too. And yeah. it was also that I, that was December, and they had just won the the pennant, the World Series, like three months earlier. So my first day, I walk in the production office. A few people knew me already because I know a lot of Chicago people. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, I go. First things first. You guys got to move me. I, there's no decent food anywhere near my hotel. And uh, hey, how'd the Cubs do last season? And they're like, Hey, guy, you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> Are you fucking goofy? <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. But that's my sense of humor. Um, but anyway, so the Chicago units, I... Uh, over- Where did that shoot? Did that shoot at Cinespace? Yeah, yeah. Because okay. we, were, we were surrounded by PD and fire and all that. And uh, the Exorcist, I think, was just moving out. And I think power... No, not power. Um, Empire. Empire. Yeah. And that's the thing you were doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not at that time, though. Yeah. It was like a year later, I think. Yeah, I can't remember. This would have been the end of 2016, maybe? Yeah, it's almost right, two years ago. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so over dinner and drinks and in the lobby of the Ritz Carlton, it was like, guys, when are you going to let me direct? I want to direct. And at the time, you know, John only had ER in the air, and it was it was kind of like, well, I mean, we I could get you into ER, and um, and it was almost like there was no, I knew that there was nothing I could do to that show to make it to do to. I I said I'm re- you know I mean I was uh, at least you know. I had to be honest. That's the least I could do. I said, I, I, you know, one of the new shows, any new show you have coming up. And so, again, we did. They did two in '98. I did one of them in um, Baltimore and DC with with Chulak, and then they did Trinity in New York, and then 
what uh, the one I did didn't get picked up. Trinity only lasted seven episodes, and so a year later, what was Trinity? It was uh, John Spencer before West Wing, Jill Clayburgh, and it was kind of just a family drama. It was kind mm. of like you know one once. Um, one son is a priest, one's a union boss, one's a drug addict, one's married to the crazy woman. One, okay. It was a, it was a, so it's a family drama kind yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's the best way to describe That's it. Really great performance. And John Spencer. Who was as, as good as they get. And such a nice dude. Yeah. I never met him. I, I you know, I just. Wait, you worked with him. Well, I did. I, I, he, he was on West Wing. So I guess I oh, did. Oh, you didn't do Trinity? No. Oh, sorry. No, no. I thought you said you no, did when that No, when that show didn't go, they John kept a lot of that crew together and said, I'm bringing a show here next year, which Got turned it. into Third Watch. Um, no, I mean, I met John, I guess, briefly on West Wing because I shadowed Tommy Shlami for an episode. Um, but I, I really wanted to be in the shadows and just kind of literally, you know, just shadow him in the fly shadows. on the fly on the wall yeah more, so i you right. know I, I met people briefly just so they didn't say hey he was the weirdo over your shoulder tommy so um right but, but um i never got to know him but yeah as good as they get i mean yeah um so so that was yeah the seeds were planted you know um enough where you know by the time 98 rolled around it was it was bubbling and then 99 they they flat out said hey we'll let you do and they obviously it. like you <laughs> I yeah, mean, I mean, you know, it's uh, it, it, things go in waves. I mean, you know, I I I, I kind of didn't do anything much after Third Watch with John. I didn't. He, he did indeed let me direct an episode of ER. I think I did episode one fifty one of three hundred and something. <laughs> and then um, and then I did a Southland. But it's been a while. I mean, you know, again, you know, things go in waves. Sure. You fall. No, I meant at the time they obviously liked you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They respected your work, and you worked your ass off for them. And yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Exactly. It was it was a very mutual admiration society because I thought you know Chris was one of my favorite directors to work with. Just you know, wildly creative, and and his heart was in the right place. He was you know one of the few directors, and and you know it's great. Chris is like kind of grew up on the streets of East East LA. He's like from a tough neighborhood. Oh, really? Yeah. And like in and um sometimes you'd hear like you know we'd have this emotional scene and we'd dolly in real slow and people are crying and, and you'd hear back at the monitor cut and i'd go back around the corner i go how was that and he was wiping tears out of his eyes good it's good okay let's just stop <laughs> okay okay guys we're gonna go tired you know but it was great because it's like and then every once in a while that hits me i get one of those as a uh -huh. director where there's a scene that just hits me in a way um the way it's lit the way you know of course performance yeah, but Chris was a very emotional guy, and I learned a lot watching him direct. And and of course, John, you know, one of our uh, greatest TV writers and showrunners there that's in existence. Yeah, well, look at the shows he's been involved with. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, and and, and also, movies. Yeah, now he's yeah he's directing some really big movies, and um, yeah, you know, he does good work. Yeah, it's really it's really good. Um, yeah, you mentioned Tommy Schlamy. That's not the first time he's been mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Tommy's one of the good guys. I mean, he really, he really is. You know, I see him at the DGA now at, at meetings and stuff. He always, and now he's the prez. Yeah. And I was, I was there. I got, I got put on a panel to um, when he got elected. That would have been a year ago, something like summer that. of two. Yeah. And um, yeah, you basically elect a president. I mean, it's caucused out. So by the time you get there, it's, it's kind of you kind of know who's you know gonna gonna get it. But um, uh, he always takes time, and you know, because I he. We go back to you know probably ninety four when uh, I think he directed an episode of ER and we kind of hit it off and and um, he's just you know 
one of the good guys, one of the, you know, nobody said he's one of those people that doesn't have any enemies. And if he does, I don't know what you could possibly be, right. you know, <laughs> upset with Tommy about he's, he's, he could, couldn't be nicer. Right. <laughs> so that started, that started your directing career. Yeah. Um, what started your study camp career? Cause I don't know if you remember this, but the first time we worked together on criminal minds, mm-hmm. you were directing right. and I came in to do like C camera. And the first thing I said to you is, hey, guy, you know you went to the same high school as me, right? Yeah, that's right. I, you, I know you and I and BJ McDonald, we all have the Florida connection. Well, he's from the Panhandle. Yeah, yeah that's true. But you and I, did you but go to But Rich Brandon? Davis, Josh Harrison, uh, they're both operate, They're both Orlando people, too. That's crazy. But I went to Brantley, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, you grew up in the Springs, right? I was in the Springs. And I, uh, I, I grew up in Sweetwater. Oh, God, that's so crazy. <laughs> it's so funny because now I, uh, through fi- Facebook... I keep getting friend request. I mean, I have been and keep getting requests from people from the old neighborhood, like not right. people, not even in my class because I was class of eighty two, right? So, but like little brothers and older brothers and sisters of my classmates that I may not have kept in touch with, but mm-hmm. um, it's crazy and to, to kind of it's like the trip down memory lane because uh, I always talk about there was a, at the Altamont Mall there was a little movie theater in the corner yeah two way out in the parking way out lot. in the parking lot two uh, theaters two theater yep. I my sister who was 15 at the time took me to see jaws when i was 10 and we waited outside in the in the parking lot and uh and that that little theater changed everything for me at least i mean i remember skipping skipping school probably senior year and going to see blade runner and yeah um road warrior there was like a couple movies right around my my the end of my high school years that like really put me on this gotcha path. yeah you know it's funny you say that about that theater because i have a very specific memory from that theater <laughs> probably the la- the very last movie i saw there was american history x oh wow yeah. and i went with my uh my buddy robbie Kleiman, yeah. and we got there there's nobody there we walk in the theater and there's two dudes like in the back and that's it there's four people in the theater right. that movie flopped super hard but we watched it it was like yeah, mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. I I love that movie. I don't want to watch it really, but I do because yeah, yeah. it's so hard. So much of it. It's, it's dark. But we came out of the theater. We like sat there dazed, <laughs> watching the credits go by. You know, and uh, and we came out of the theater, and the two guys who were in the back were standing out. There was like a little curb right in front of the doors, and they're out like smoking cigarettes. And we see them, and they have suspenders. And Doc Martens up oh, to wow. their knee with their jeans tucked in. I thought and it was a documentary. Yeah. Wow. And I'm with a guy named Robbie Kleiman. Right. And we come and we come walking out, and they just look at us. And during that time of my life, that would have been like my. It was probably the summer between my freshman or sophomore year, or sophomore junior or college or something, right? Yeah. And I was known to have a have a few incidents with people <laughs> oh man and i it's not like i wanted to start something but i was so ready in that moment yeah. i just saw them look at us like the evil but anyway that's burned into my mind forever and it's all because of a movie yeah. you know yeah yeah and in the interstate mall right which is across the street like right off of i-4 that was another big like midnight movie interstate right the interstate mall um yeah is that, that was, still there i wonder i don't know i don't know I it was been, kind of the shithole yeah, but it was like there was a great record store there, and there was a couple cool things. And I remember because I worked at the Showbiz Pizza on on four thirty four there, and we would finish and I'll go pile in some somebody's back of somebody's car with some kind of be- ill gotten beer somewhere. <laughs> 
some Circle K or whatever to- U Totem sold you us beer. You worked at Showbiz Pizza, which became Pizza. Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, well, they, were, they were competitors, but I think they did get bought out. But yeah. but but we'd go to the midnight movies and we'd see either yeah. Dawn of the Dead, uh, Song Remains the Same, Rocky Horror, of course, and we'd seen them all a million times. And but that's what you did. I mean, you yeah, yeah, go yeah. see a midnight movie. That's funny. <laughs> um, wow, that brings back all kinds of memory. There was Riverwalk. That was over by that's uh, that's in uh, that's over near Apopka actually. Yeah. There's uh, I'm just trying to remember all the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, do you get back often or no? My parents both are have since passed, and so my and my sister moved to Orlando or to uh, Atlanta from uh, Orlando. So you know I have I have some friends, but it's just been a while. And um, we used to, when when you know it was a perfect excuse to take the girls to Disney world every summer. We'd sure. see my folks. Of course we'd go in the summer, which was, we go to this. Once I got married to Lori, who's from Chicago, we'd, we'd go to Florida in the summer and Chicago in the winter, which is so completely bass backwards, but that's what we did. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got to the point where Lori was like, just, uh, I'll, I'll just stay at whatever, uh, we'll, you know, we'd, we'd get like a hotel for a night or two, even though I could stay with my folks. I'll just stay by the, by the, pool and you take the girls and so you know i just have these oh that was kind of the deal got all these great pictures of just soaking wet with sweat or Uh or four o'clock the thunderstorm would come in and we just get soaked right 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 and now you know then so i got great memories and of course you know i could just go right down the street to disneyland it's almost the same thing but yeah anyway yeah that's funny (laughs) yeah i don't i don't get uh i don't get back uh much either but i have fond memories it was a good place to grow up great you know in the springs i talk about you know it was incredible. Like I mean, there were just all the kids cave diving, you know, the, the whole Thailand thing. Yeah. And I used to swim in these caves. I mean, I, we would never go deeper than like 10 feet, but I still have these like nightmares about going into this cave and I can't turn back around. And so I can imagine what these kids went through. And so a lot of that was having grown up and, you know, again, 10 years old, you dive off this 20 foot board, you dive down, you'd swim until you ran out of breath and you turn around and go back up. And they were natural freshwater springs. They were yeah. incredible. I mean, yeah. Really- well, I don't know that I've ever been to the ones at the springs, but I've been to the ones at um, um, like Wakiva. Yeah, Wakiva yeah. State Park. Yeah. That yeah, was. Same, it's the same vibe. Yeah. It's yeah. Really cool. And the water is like seventy one. Yeah. And crystal clear. Yeah. It's it was really in the summer. It's great because yeah. it's cold. Yeah. It was chilly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's just an idyllic, you know, um, childhood. Because I remember I, would, I always tell my daughters now, or you know, at least my thirteen year old. So I, used to, I remember waking up, putting on a pair of shorts, and maybe put two or three singles in my pocket, because at some point we'd go to Seven Eleven and get a Slurpee and one of those giant pickles and a, and a Slim Jim or something. Whatever, right? But no, no shoes. Right. I mean, maybe flip flops if it was like kind of hot out, or you know, like the. the well, the, the ground gets so hot yeah, in the Florida. Pave, yeah, yeah, the pavement would get hot, maybe, but it, it was because I was going to be on grass or in water or sand or pools or whatever all day. Yeah. And yeah, just a pair of shorts. That was it. And there were like beach, what was it beach britches or something? There was a company that Ron John's and like all the new Smyrna um, surf shops had like the same, we get the same flip flops, the same sun, sun britches. They were like the classic, they were like the classic board short. They were kind of tight, right? Well, they were, you know, they were, they were what you're you talking about the seventies, no? Yes, yeah, but they were, you know, what you'd go surfing in. It's like okay, you know yeah. the classic, uh, you know, because none of us would wear a speedo. Forget it. No, 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 <laughs> you'd no, be caught dead. In a speedo. No, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'd wear them. You'd go swimming, and then within five minutes, it'd be dry. Again. Right, yeah. right, right, right. That's funny. No, that just brought up another memory. I we um we gave a camera a nice bath in the Wakiva Springs. Oh, God. Um, 
this director i won't go through the whole story but <laughs> but the the he had he had his own aton 35s and Ooh. they rented a housing um, wasn't joe pitka was it no it was not it was um <laughs> I should remember his name. Great guy, good director, cameraman. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he um um jeez, my my brain is failing me on his name. But <laughs> but we got a we got a housing from Miami, um one of the what do you call it? It's an underwater housing, but I can't right. remember the the brand name, it doesn't matter. Right. But from the factory or the, the the rental house, they left like the tiniest screw out of the bottom. And it's a screw the camera assistants never would have known even existed. Yeah. So they tightened all their stuff and it was all good. And then they put it in. It's like, get out of there, get out of there. There's water spraying. <laughs> so, so Brett, that was the d- director's name. He says, uh, he goes, well, that's why I have another one. So uh, you might want to wow. fix the housing before the other one goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember there wasn't that many Aton 35s around. I know Pitka had one. Yeah. Um, yeah Did he only have one? I well, bet he, he had, had two. He had like half a dozen cameras, like BLs and stuff. Oh, did he? That he owned, but the fi- the the Aton thirty five was like his baby, and it was crazy because I remember you know there's a few things I did Steadicam, but I'd watch you know on commercials, one with Michael Jackson, big Pepsi commercial that was crazy. Wait, and, not the one where his hair cut off? No, no, this was this was year, a few oh, years after later, that. Yeah, yeah, it was like ninety, I think. But um, he would he would have the camera on his shoulder, and they'd be doing a take, and he would just without any warning just throw it off his shoulder and just pray and he didn't pray but the camera assistant prayed that he could catch it in time before it hit the ground I'm trying to remember who that he had a couple camera assistants that were like i go have you ever missed and he's like yeah, they, they all are like yeah well, well close you know i mean he just takes it off and starts directing just like let's go of it yeah let's go and yeah yeah crazy you gotta be you gotta be ready i did yeah. some spots with him i i felt the wrath <clears throat> <laughs> i handed it back though pretty quickly yeah and apparently that's what he likes that that's the trick yeah which i was just mad i didn't know i wasn't trying well, to play well, games when i first met him is how long ago the first thing i ever did i got um my friend david hennings who was the time he was a great cameraman dp now at the time he was like the luma crane operator you got oh really yeah. and we did tons of music videos and pitka comes to him in the middle of the day or something says you know any good steady cam operators we need somebody here tomorrow first thing tomorrow so hennings calls me at the time i guess i, I it was before texting and he goes, hey, are you, are you busy tomorrow? Because, you know, Joe Pitka, who, you know, is a, a legend. Well known, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the gods of, you know, commercial directors. Um, we're doing this Michael Jackson spot. He wants Steadicam down this runway that they built. Um, I said, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think I'd already put all my gear on a truck to or on a plane already for the whatever my next gig was. But I didn't I'd need to be there for two days. Or it was an auto Nemans getting ready to be put in a container. I said, I just need a rig. And so we found a rig, and I came down. It all worked out, but they gave me like a BL1 with a big shroud housing. It was just, it was a, a Frankenstein because it wasn't my rig. It wasn't shroud housing. It had like this shroud that went around the um, lens because it was the tiny little like bayonet mount lenses. So to build them up, they would build like a, sh- they had like a shroud around it with little like ears. And so that's how you pulled focus. It was pretty archaic. For support on the lens and stuff. No, just to, just to put just a, to some pull. kind of motor on it to, oh, God. to do. And so. <laughs> We get all together. I end up probably working ten minutes for the entire fourteen-hour day. But I had a. It was right when they announced the Florida Marlins expansion baseball team. Oh, okay. Team. So I bought a Florida Marlins T-shirt. And he goes. So he comes by the camera truck, and David goes, "Hey, Joe, I wanted to introduce you to Guy. And we got he's a Steadicam guy, and we're going to go do this job in Japan together, whatever. But I got him before we fly. You know, he doesn't fly till you know a couple of days from now. Um, 
So uh, he's your steady cam operator for the day, and he's without missing a beat. He goes, "What the fuck are the Marlins?" And I go, "Well, it's a new uh, expansion baseball team." And I kind of knew he was a sports fan because he was like always playing basketball. He goes, "Oh, no shit, didn't know that. Cool. New Florida's got a new got a baseball team. Okay, cool. All right, great. All right, we'll see you in there." And that was like, I mean, not that I and shot that was him. It, huh? I didn't shut him down or anything, but it was like that was funny that instead of going, "Hey, I'm Joe. Nice to meet you." He's like, "What the fuck are the Marlins?" Right. Like, like zeroed in on my T-shirt. <laughs> well, what he said to me was. Uh, we were shooting in Orlando, and he says, uh, uh, "What? What are you fucking from here?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm from here. Where the fuck are you from?" <laughs> there you go. He loves that, <laughs> right? And then Austin. Did you know Austin? Austin, his first for no. many years. So maybe it was after after your time with him. But he came right up to me right after that shot and goes. Hey, Brad, just so you know, Joe really likes you. <laughs> I'm like, he just screamed at me. He's like, no, 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 no. No, it's, it's all good. No, it's just I, it, like a couple of days ago on, on Facebook, I saw that uh, a camera assistant, a longtime camera assistant friend of mine, Mark Kalichi, passed away. And Mark was with Joe. Mark had amazing stories about working with Joe because Joe had Ferraris or at least one Ferrari. And Mark Kalichi. I've heard it's many, many. Yeah. And Mark Kalichi, being very Italian, um, he got really tight with him and Joe would let him drive his Ferraris. Like, take him out, take it out, man. You know, and cause him and Mark were really tight. Mm. And then they, there was some story Mark told about, they were shooting something in the, literally the middle of the desert. I don't know where it was somewhere out. And he got in a fight with Joe over something. And like Joe, like left him in the desert, made him walk home or I was something crazy. Wow. But anyways, it's funny. We're, we're talking about that because I remember, you know, hearing these great stories from Mark and, and now Mark's gone. Rest in peace, Mark. We, uh, we're going to miss you. That's too bad. I know. He was one, and again, one of the good guys. How was, old was he? I don't know. I mean, probably, you know, a little older than me, mid-50s maybe, but um, wow. I, I think he'd been battling cancer for a while, but uh, just a sweetheart of a guy. Always had a big smile, big hug, gentle giant. You know, he's, he was tall like you and just just a great dude. Big guy, yeah. yeah. You know, That's just, brutal. Just through the years, we'd get thrown together. I'd sure. come on something he was already on, or I'd need somebody at the last minute to focus puller. Let's get, get Mark, and he was always there and always good. Yeah. So it's, it's tough it's, to hear. It's nice when you walk on set and see a friendly face. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, what's fun about, and I'm sure you've experienced this as a steady cam as operator, is I would get a call. i go, we need somebody tomorrow. It's a flight of stairs or whatever. Yeah, I'll be there. Great. What kind of camera? Okay, good. I'll be there. And you show up and you look, you kind of look around and then you see like a sound mixer or, you know, uh, somebody not necessarily in a camera department and they go, oh, good. They found you. And I go, what do you mean? He go, well, they were talking about when you're going to want to do Steadicam tomorrow. So I had him call you. And I, I told him to find you. And so I always, that's one of the lessons I teach, you know, or teach. I, I, I always say to young people getting in the business, be nice to everybody. And you never know who you're going to impress. And also, sometimes people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. That's a really great lesson. Yeah. That's one I wish I'd learned a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I always say, I mean, my joke is I'd rather be an, an hour early than a minute late. As I always say to people, the, I know it sounds trite, but the secret to success, maybe in every business, but especially in the movie business, is always be early and always stay until... They until tell the you, work is done. Until right. they tell you, okay, you can go home now. Right, right. Um, because there's there there's so much to be said for that. Um, well, yeah. what what's that line about showing up? You know, yeah. Showing what sixty percent of success is showing up or whatever or, whatever that line. Yeah, is. I'm butchering it. Well, that one's yeah, exactly. I know what you're saying. And the, the other one is, um, if you're on time, uh, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're fired. 
there's just no tolerance for it because what right. it, it it screams um well a couple things that that you, you don't care that you enough don't care, right. or it also screams that you want attention like when you know a lot of times when when and you see this a lot with actors where it's a power move. It's a power move, and you know, and and you you know it. They know it. You look at each other, and you're like, really, and and um, but um, I've been on shows where they scheduled everything, knowing that every <laughs> single day, the 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 the, the leads who are, you know whoever yeah. they might be are a half hour or forty five minutes late. Yeah. So they schedule that into the schedule. All right. Or you know? yeah. Or or um, I'm not coming out of my trailer till he does. But anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like okay, we're ready for you. Has uh, so and so stepped out yet? No, not yet. Okay. Yeah. Let me know when he steps out. I'll come out. Yeah. You know, it's funny you're talking <laughs> about being late. I find that in LA, people are so much more forgiving about it, and I think it's just because we've all hit that that yeah. ten at night traffic jam that is yeah. inexplicable, or that four in the morning, or whatever. Yeah, you can't even explain it. I mean, there's there's phenomenons about you know like people. And people are coming from far away yeah. to or work just, here. Or, or they, they talk about how they've done these studies. Why does this part of the freeway always back up? And that it has a lot of times it has something to do with when the sun is at a certain height, it forces people to squint and they touch and they their brakes. Down, right. And when they touch their brakes, it's like a, um, a daisy chain. Yeah. Um, so people aren't stopping or slowing down for any, no other re- for any other reason than that they're the, what time of year it is and where how low the sun is or a, a particular curve that you're going along 55 60 and people slow down to go along yeah and right. if and if you have either a, a, a chicken or inexperienced driver that touches the brakes a little more that backs it all up yeah it and starts in one place yeah, yeah. i mean and we, la is the king of yeah, this shit. yeah and yeah i would you know, say it's bad drivers like we create we create entertainment and traffic here you know yeah, i mean yeah it's well there yeah and there's Sure, they give you a, a, t- a driving test when you get your license, but you, you know, but s- my but, cat could pass that driving. Well, test. yeah, but common sense and 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 just you know brains in general, you can't, you know, you can't fix stupid, as they say. Sometimes. Well, com- com- <laughs> the line common sense isn't so common, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. But but uh, we're cliching the hell out of oh everything right now. Yeah. But but no, I mean, uh, uh, any anyway, yeah, yeah. We don't need to talk about stupid people, but <laughs> but no, but so in other words, you can you can leave an extra half hour early to go on your 45 minute drive yep. and be late. Yep. And it happens to everybody once in a while, yeah. but but there's a difference between, you know, once a month Habitual. and right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, if yeah. you're late a lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean there was I think one time doing a criminal minds it was in the winter. We were shooting downtown at the what it used to be the Unical building. I guess it's now Hollywood Center or something. And it it was raining and I was coming from the West Valley four or five to the ten or whatever. And I knew I mean I hit a, a wall of traffic and I knew I was gonna be late and it and it was nothing I could do about it. So, you know, I just got the call sheet out, called my first AD and said, Look, set up a wide shot, you know, I think at the time and I you still doing it. Greg St. John's was the cameraman. I think when they put Greg alone, I said, just do something big and wide and you know you know, I mean, hopefully I'll get there in time to uh you know when the actors you know ha- keep everybody in the works and it wor- i think it worked out fine but man i there was no worse feeling in the world than than being late as Wait, a director yeah i mean yeah <laughs> i mean as an operator i kind of get away with it because the b camera operator could jump in or if it was b camera they you know the dp would jump on for sure. a shot or two 
And Even the assistants or whoever you yeah. have a you have a lot of support there. Yeah, you have a team, but you can't as a director you can't call. In I mean, sick. with directing you kind of got to call Glenn Kershaw and say. Yeah, but it, I think it was it was like the first or second season, so Glenn was. Well, I don't know. He's probably he's probably I can't remember now. But oh, what I would well, say you anyway. can't. Yeah, it, it was a situation. Where, I mean, we weren't on stage. That was what I think the problem was. You're kind of alone. I mean, you're you're lucky to know like some people there, but yeah. If, but you know, I always say you can't call in late and you can't call in sick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's. Uh, but it's funny. There's a weird adrenaline that happens to me as a director where I could have a nervous stomach all morning. I could be, you know, I have I get like this essential tremor when I get nervous on mm-hmm. my right side, which I think is from being an operator. Um, oh, like a little nerve damage or something. Well, it's maybe. just my right side. My like I'll feel it in my hand, my finger, my arm, and my leg. But it comes and goes. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. Hmm. Uh, but I'll experience a lot of that. But as soon as I get on set and we bring in first team, all that goes away. You're like on it. Yeah, and it and it's it's weird because uh, hey, we were talking about flying to you know getting on an airplane earlier. Um, I can get on an air a flight, and as soon as they close the doors, I have to I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and it's pure nerves because I'll sit on uh, they'll say okay we're in at seven a.m. and at uh, one o'clock they go okay it's time to break for lunch. I'm like well, I feel like we just got here, right. and I haven't used the restroom all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't even thought about, it. and so it it just goes to show you how mental. So that I mean, there you go. I, it's nice to when you know that's your your comfort place is, is work and 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 it's also because your I think your mind goes to a place of I've got a mountain. You know, you, we do TV. You know, we got a mountain of work here to do. I got eight nine pages to do today, and and it's not going to get done without the full, every day you're staring at Everest. Yeah, the, going, the full core press. Yeah, I mean we have yeah. to we have to go, and I like to go hard the first three four hours, come out of the gate strong get that first shot within the first 45 minutes because you set a tone for the rest of the day yeah well i mean you know that old joke right gone with the wind in the morning due to hazard at night yeah. well i mean and and it just it's it's habitual on some shows yeah you're just like <sighs> yeah for no reason you're dude. three hours in you're yeah. four hours in you're like okay well no that's that's feature style it's 16 hours again today yeah, yeah exactly. you know hey I, I have no tolerance for that i mean you know it's because there, there's it, it's it, there's no reason for it, right. and like I always say that if we kick ass the first three four hours, or the first half a day, then we have a little time to discuss stuff later if we two, need to. Two things can happen. Right. We'll we can have a leisurely, you know, back six, or we can go home early. A short day. I know that's crazy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny. I actually get, I've had, like showrunners call my agent and go, you know, we're a little worried about guy because he's got he's he did two eleven hour days and we're. Like, I don't know if he's pushing the crew hard enough. And have you ever heard a crew go, we're not being pushed hard enough? I mean, it's just, it's ludicrous. But I believe it or not, I've gotten that criticism. But, you know, some days are easier. He was too efficient. Yeah. Oh some my. days are easier. Or you plan it that way. I mean, we actually, you know, I've done shows where you go, it's going to be a feather in our cap to get, you know, number one and number two off the call sheet by lunch. So if we if we plan this, the, this work, we'll get them off the, the call sheet. And then we have that, you know, that scene with the three guys afterwards. Um, it's going to be complicated, so we'll have time to deal yeah, with that, or, right, or whatever. Or, and right. then you, you know, or or it's just a day of maybe a large page count, but it's it's not a lot of of cast count, mm-hmm. so you can get through that stuff pretty quick. I mean, I'm again another another guyism. I say I'd rather have a ten page day with two actors than a two page day with ten actors. That's Cause, great cause, point. Because coverage and covering every the amount of setups is just multiplied. Exactly. And if we do a big one like that, I ask for a third camera, even just to come in on an eight-hour day, and that that helps. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, so like so, when I came in on Criminal Minds, yeah. that was. I a, think we had we were breaking a lot of glass, and it was resets. We had gunshots and stuff. Right. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, you you, I'd rather instead of one sweepy crane shot that we're going to pay a Titan crane thousands of dollars, and then they're going to cut it out anyway. In TV, right. I'd rather have the third. I mean, I where I can put the put it on the screen. I think we had. I remember you had me doing something like <laughs> wide and low, right, or something. I can't remember, but. It, it was obviously a shot that you can cut to at any point. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a. There's a pacing thing there. So like the more, the more stuff you have right. in a scene like that, the more different setups you have, the more you can cut and Action. control how long it yeah. is. Action's all about setups. Right. Yeah. Right. It's all about I can cut. Boom. 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 Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want oneers with action unless it's like really great. No, I mean, um, you see the guy hit the pad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not good. No, it's you know, it's you, you, it's like you have a as a director, just much much like a cameraman or you know, camera operator, you have a toolbox of things, yeah. right? So, and you you would never use a Titan crane for every shot. You never use Steadicam for every shot. Um, so you know, you you break you break them out when you think you need them for the right tone. I mean, this last thing I just did was sort of a romantic comedy kind of show, procedural, but with like a little bit of a moonlighting castle. Hmm love thing going on the partners you know very handsome male sexy female and so you know it's not a handheld kind of show but we had a scene where they block off a car trying to exit a, uh, a parking lot and they badge the guy i'm you know i'm the private detective you have something in the back and i see that we we have cop pulls in so i said hey you know i want to do you know i said to the showrunners i want to do this the scene handheld i think it's going to add to it it's going to help us move a little quicker as well and you know so that those are two things you want to hear. Um, sure. And so, you know, it, it was the right tool for the right job. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it's, it is it is kind of crazy how... Well, it's important to know, like, when you say, oh, it's going to help us move a little quicker, too. It's important as a director to know how doing certain things affects everything else. Yeah. Including how long it'll all take and, yeah. you know, how does this affect the art department if we do this? How yeah. do, You know what I mean? Or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's one thing a lot of directors could use a little, it's a, a little it's, bit of learning on. It's amazing how, because I have, I talked to, I mean, I'm married to a script supervisor and I talk to script supervisors on the shows I do and they're like, this last director or director, three directors ago, came up to me day one and says, I don't know screen direction. I don't understand it. So you just got to help me out with it. And now, look, I'm lucky. You know, you you come from the same background where that's what we do: screen direction. But like eye lines and matching, and and all the nuts and bolts when you get in the editing room, so your editor doesn't hang himself. You know, day one. Mm -hmm. Or hang uh, you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's amazing where where a lot of directors are like, I just want to tell the actors what to do. I just want to. Give, it's all about performance for me, and and they're very happy to hand that off to the camera department. I couldn't sleep that if I was that kind of director at night because I understand if you're like it's not my strong point yeah but I'm trying really I'm always trying to know it but back me up on this yeah. that's one thing but yeah. saying I don't know it and don't understand it that's yeah, your fault it's, it's all that's you being lazy well I, that's what I think too I mean and it's funny you say that because the the the, the scene where I said I'm going to go handheld it's going to help we had three cars coming in from three different angles so moving mm -hmm. them and resetting them in the in the mouth of this parking lot was going to be a trick so i knew that we could get in there you know with the handheld camera also it's it was in the middle of, i mean it was thank god it was nice and bright and sunny in vancouver at the time because it's not in the winter mm -hmm. um, you could have you know three weeks of rain in a row but um mm. so we didn't the 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 line producer on the show has a, a particularly adverse uh um 
reaction to whenever uh, they want to have a fly swatter or like a big 20 by on a cherry picker or whatever. Should we? Should I explain fly swatter? Maybe. Well, it's just a way to way to silk out a large area. It's a big crane, like almost yeah. a forklift type yeah, thing it, with a big metal frame. Yeah, on that it you that a, you right. build to put to stop the sun from being Be a thirty by twenty by. Yeah, ga- super garish and bad light on your your actors. Right. So we kind of, I mean, you go out there. What's nice is there's an app for that. So we, I, I had my cameraman with me on the scout, and we said by the time we shoot this, according to the call sheet or according to the one liner that will be, you know eventually on a call sheet mm-hmm. we're shooting this the sun's going to be there so we go okay we know we're going to be there okay so if we do this this little bit with our heroes one and two getting out of their car they'll be backlit which is nice we like that now for the bad guys one of them's never going to get out of the car because he rolls down the window you know like you know protecting in the back seat we can kind of silk him out of it on the on the floor with a 12 by or something so in other words all this equipment that we have to get in and out it's going to go be a lot quicker if we're not also moving dollies and and um dance floor and trash sure. and, and you know sheets of plywood so you know you bring that with you as a director you know again that's part of your toolkit and uh you know kind of you know again i probably did a nice map where i drew little arrows okay camera here camera here oh, you know i throw those out sometimes and don't even look at them but at least i've thought about it the night before right well it, um in a second we'll take a little break and uh, right. get it get a get a drink in but um uh, I did want to. Why are they so fly swatter averse? It's just it's because uh, it's not that expensive. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's also the same producer doesn't like wet downs um, because I mean, I, and being a Vancouver based producer, I think he's he's paid for one too many uh, wet downs water, when it was raining. When it was raining, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> water truck driver sitting there counting his money, <laughs> looking at the time on his Rolex while uh, while it rains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, you know, it's just it's like one of those things. I mean, we used to joke around. There was some line producers that were that used to say in, in California the condor truly is an uh, um, endangered, endangered species. species. <laughs> wait, wait. Well, well, well. Um, uh, what network was this? Uh, ABC. Okay. Uh, I'm just thinking because there's a another director friend of mine. She told me she's like, I feel really bad for this director on this show um, because the producers or the line producer will not pay for a fly swatter or any. He won't have a scissor lift, any lift on the set at all ever. He'll never rent one. Hmm. And I'm like, now it's a half hour comedy. So yeah. the the chance that they need them as much is, yeah. is is less, but still, I'm like, why is that a rule? Yeah, it's weird because that was probably the, one of the only times we we did a big day exterior where we would have needed it. But we did we we had one big night exterior where we did have big units on big cranes, mm-hmm. and so I think you know it's it's also part of that tit for tat. You know, you oh, um, okay, we'll take you guys can we'll send this zoom back to the rental house panavision to get the third it, axis on this head or whatever get another it might be, body right? you know so another you, body yeah right? you play that game so sure. you know that's what the key grip and and, and i you know i trust I, I trust our expertise I, you know i don't i don't stick my nose in that yeah no no i mean it's just it's just a weird thing to be like I know, you're never getting that it's yeah. just what yeah, don't, don't even mention yeah I, it's funny i mean it's just like anything uh you know people people have averse reactions to some things and ba- pro- most likely based on their history of maybe 20 years ago something happened and they never yeah. or 10 years or whatever it well, is well it's also interesting in Vancouver they'll call for a wet down right where it's right at the freezing point and they wet it down and then people start walking across it and you have like broke, Ice broken tailbones and cars sliding out of control so that becomes a whole issue too about are you guys going to do you know, like an all nighter you know so at 4 in the morning you're going to wet down this street you know it could be 
it might be 32 degrees or so. zero if you're in celsius uh, zero and if right, they go sure. if it's hovering anywhere near zero there's no way we're wetting this down in fact we're doing the opposite huge liability oh god yeah and then Scary. you can't get rid of the ice no no it's there right then you got to buy salt <laughs> yeah and you can put hot water on it but eventually the hot water will cool off <laughs> exactly. well um it's it's funny uh um, um about the wet downs i was on a show a few years ago during the drought just day playing oh, yeah. on on a show and they had a wet down plan and then it was really heavy duty like everybody needs to be super careful with your water yeah and the producers were like you know what we're not doing a wet down yeah that was cape town they're they're in a drought i know they're in a yeah, yeah. like worse than here it yeah, was. Well, it's it's really bad there and um yeah there was like don't even i mean cause, but we really didn't need it anyway because it was it was supposed to be LA parts part, part of it, and then it was supposed to be Cape Town. So it's funny you can you can double LA really easily in Cape Town, except for you have to be careful how you shoot the cars because they you know they're right hand drive and they drive on the other side. So if you shot a scene where you had cars going by, you know left to right, you were fine because you can't because they're motion blur. And yeah, it, yeah, right. but it, you can never go down a lane. But I had some scenes where you'd swear you were in the Palisades, swear you were in Malibu, palm trees, beaches rocky i mean it's very cool. very southern california in cape town and it's just a great place in general i've never been i gotta get yeah, there it's crazy i gotta get there let's take let's all take right. uh, five here and we'll uh we'll come back to it all right well you know who went to julia we're all classmates were michael beach uh eric lasalle and ving rames wow all three michael of them, beach michael beach he was one of the stars of uh third watch really great actor solid been doing it a long time mm. um and you know LaSalle and I became good friends on ER obviously and now Eric's a, speaking of Cindy Space Chicago he's the producer director on uh, PD Chicago PD oh yeah cool um, and then Ving Rames of course did Pulp Fiction that put him on the map yeah yeah you know, Eric had all those years on on, thir- on ER I've worked with Eric as a director yeah well that's it he, you know way back then he wanted to direct and he didn't want to do ER I don't necessarily think him and uh, Wells got along very well Oh, and so over the hiatuses, he would put together these little short films, and mm. um, and then he did he did one. First thing I remember Don Cheadle being in it was like the story of Earl the Goat Manigault, who was like could have been like he they said he was as good as Jordan and all that, and like I guess he had drug problems and stuff. A true story. So he directed that, and um, but anyway, those three were best friends out of Juilliard. That's so funny. Yeah. and they all made it. Yeah, they're all doing well. I mean, Michael's, you know, he's he's like, you know, your reaction is what I get. But people, when they see his picture, like, oh, yeah, of course. I bet I would. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Because and, and, uh, I watched some third watch back yeah, in the day. I didn't see all of it, I don't super, think. Super consistent, like, works all the time. He's he's a blast on Instagram because he always does the stories where he's like, I'm going to the gym. i got to pick up these kids. I, 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 <laughs> another audition. He comes, he goes, I don't know, you know, it's suit time. Guess what I'm doing? Right. comes out of the audition I think I got it then he you know the next day he goes alright going in for a fitting and so he kind of does the documents really like the in between times and he's, he rides a Harley it's like all the times you're not on set yeah it's kind of fun it, it, he's a blast to watch and, we, and you know huh. just yeah, I worked with him on ER because he, he was it was between him and Eric for Dr. Benton Oh. and Eric ended up getting it but they liked Michael a lot so they they gave him an arc in like season two mm. And then in 99, they cast him as, he. I don't think, yeah, I mean, him, him is an ensemble, but he was sort of the, the main guy on Third Watch, played Doc. Mm. Um, 
Great dude. Cool. One thing I um I noticed, and I know you're like been a music guy for a long time. Yeah. Well, you have super long hair. Yeah. Did you want to be a musician at any point? I don't know. I mean, I think once I kind of saw what a real musician is naturally and and can be, like like when I first came here today and I saw your cases in your living room, it brought me right back to when I lived with Michael Ward, who um, he was in uh, at the time, and in fact they wrote the first album in my in our living room. Um, he was in a band called School of Fish, and then he went on to join uh, um, the Wallflowers with Jacob Dylan, but. I guess my point is once I once once I watched Michael and like he was an instructor he was a young man and was an instructor at Guitar Institute and I would go to some of his seminars and like workshops and stuff and I saw real musicians and then I saw how hard they practiced I knew I could never I wasn't that good naturally and I knew that you know I, I couldn't ever spend that much time practicing they're basically virtuosos and you just couldn't get there yeah and, and plus I think by the time I got into college I knew I wanted to I mean I played in bands and stuff but I knew I wanted to be a director so so the music thing has always been a hobby essentially yeah, completely I, I always say I just do it to entertain myself but it's nice because like inevitably on a show um, there'll be a couple guitars lying around at lunchtime or you know every sound mixer and boom man I know almost is a, is a former musician or current musician that you know makes a living in the sound department right so you can always find somebody to jam with on the tailgate of a truck and um, I've been on shows where uh, a couple days in, the prop man will go, hey, you know, I have a couple guitars in my lockup. Do you want to take one back to the hotel? So I'll play on the weekends. And with, with YouTube, you know, a riff will, I'll hear a riff on the radio, and I'll go, oh, yeah, All Right Now by Free. I've always wanted to learn how to play that the right way. And you can go on. There, 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 I guarantee there's 100 different tutorials on how to play any riff you can think of yeah so i'll spend yeah, that's a great way to like, youtube university yeah truly and um i'll spend you know i'll go down a rabbit hole and and, and so i play cool. I've, I've got a bunch of them hanging over my desk and so it's a good way to relax huh? yeah i just pull one down and 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 play just with all take the tunes. show out of your head a little yeah yeah and so um no it's uh I, and, and i'm also just a big fan of guitars like a beautiful guitar to me is a piece of art so it's, it's you know you would get along with my friend Eric. Yeah. Eric Emerson, who I mentioned earlier. Right. He built his own like analog amp. Oh, cool. Um, he has all these, I don't know anything about guitars, but yeah. like really you, super you have cool. One, you have one right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do they call that? Uh, I need to, you know, I feel bad throwing that out. That's rock band. Rock band, that's it. But I used to do the drums and I was pretty good on the game. <laughs> I mean, you, you work up a sweat, man. You play it on, you, well, you... <laughs> I know it sounds so goofy, but you hit every single note. Oh, yeah. There's just less drums to hit, so right. whatever. <laughs> but but you're still like, especially yeah. when you play like, you know, if I'm playing like punk rock songs or Metallica or right, something, you're right. just like, <laughs> I used to do it every night kind of for like an hour and a half. Oh, that's funny. And it's almost like cardio, but um, the guitar comes with it. Exactly. So okay, that's it's never been, you're welcome to take it with you no. when you go. I got real ones. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, and I'm, I'm a fan of musicians like, great musicians and what's been kind of fun it's like a byproduct of of social media is i'll see i'll start to follow a musician that maybe had like a perfect example is a guy named jason beeler he was speaking of florida he was the leader lead singer lead guitar player for lead singer for a while because he had a lead singer and then they fired him and they got back together but oh, he, gotcha. but anyway it's a band called saigon kick oh who, yeah of course yeah so jason just through the years of you know social media i've gotten to know him through social media 
and he's played with Saigon Kick at the Viper Room. And Vi- you got to come down. Sent me a message. You got to come down. Um, he plays acoustic shows. I I just saw him in, like at the beginning of the year. I think January. And um, I've got to be good friends with him. And he, and to me, he's a virtuoso musician, songwriter. That good, huh? And yeah. And so and so, it's fun to be, become friends with like people that you know you've known. I mean, I've known Saigon Kick's music you know for 30 years if you think about it, 87 88 89 somewhere there sure um and it's so fun because we're you know we were in our 20s then and now we're in our 50s and we have kids and we're all grown up and and to a certain degree you still have the same interests yeah oh yeah 100 percent. i mean I, it, it, I i joke around that that i still kind of feel like i'm trapped in my 19 20 year old self because and that's why i get along so well with my 13 year old because you know we we, <laughs> we laugh at the same i mean i still think farts are funny um <laughs> We, you know, same sense of humor, same, at least for me, same taste in music. I mean, I... I yeah, mean, I, I see your Twitter and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I love, I, like I love new stuff. Lulu. I mean, yeah, there's a couple bands. I mean, Rival Sons and uh, Greta Van Fleet. Um, there's a new band called The Struts that I'm just starting to get into. They're kind of like Queen. Um, they're, oh, really? they're, they're a little retro, so I'm kind of showing that, you know, my 70s sensibilities. But um, but then again, I can put on Toys in the Attic or Rocks or... Or any Led Zeppelin or any you know mm. Black Sabbath, and I still enjoy them as much as the first time, especially you know cranking them up and really hearing them. So you've got that seventies eighties vibe hard, and yeah, I've got more of that nineties vibe. Like my favorite band is the Pixies. Yeah, um, you know, A I, alternative. Yeah, more uh, like yeah. in that vein. Um, but um, what about grunge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I was. You know, I sound like an asshole saying this, but like I had Nirvana's first album. Right. I bought it at the used record Bleach store. Bleach or whatever. Bleach. Yeah, yeah. And and um, you know, I had Rage Against Machines first album right when it came out. Yeah. But all based because I would go to the record store and the dude knew me. Yeah, you go. I got something for you. And he'd go, "Hey, there's this band Nirvana, and we got a copy in the used band. It's like three dollars, yeah. you know." And yeah. I bought Bleach, and I was like, "What?" So on the day Nevermind came out, I bought it. Yeah. Nobody bought it. Yeah. It didn't. It barely. Did anything for like yeah. nine months. Yeah, people think it was an instant hit. It wasn't even yeah, remotely yeah. close to that. That's funny, but, but um, yeah, and 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 Pearl Jam's ten, and I mean that's just great music. Yeah, it's funny those guys, those two bands in particular got really popular. But I I remember going to see Alice in Chains at the Palladium, and they just they just blew me away. They were so good. I love that their lead singer was so great, Lane Staley. Yeah, you know I saw them live. They opened up for um, <laughs> of all bands, Van Halen. At the Orlando Arena. I could see that. And this would have been like 90-ish. The O-Rena. O-Rena. The O-Rena. Exactly right. So where the Magic played. <clears throat> yeah. Still does. Now it's, no, now it's the Amway Center. Oh, that's right. They built some new hundred that's gazillion right. dollar, you know. Anyway, but um, but they were so bad. Allison Chains was so <laughs> bad they got booed off the stage. And well, Lane Staley threw the mic down. It's the wrong crowd. Yeah. And they're like, like playing like... You know what I mean? Like Man grungy. Yeah, yeah. Like, and they were super new and yeah. Van Halen obviously was smart enough to go and whoever their management were, were like, they're going to be big, Yeah, but they weren't big yet. Yeah, yeah. And Van Halen people were a little more your age than my, my age. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they were a product of the late seventies, early eighties. Right. Yeah. And they also sounded like shit. I have to tell you. Yeah. Cause it was probably, was it the Gary Sharon years or a year maybe? Or was it still Sammy Hagar? No, 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 no. Sorry. Van Halen sounded fine. Yeah. 
Alice in Chains sounded like shit. Yeah, well, they're an opening band. Yeah. They're playing on, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's hard. And I think they were still new, and you yeah. know there was a lot of heroin in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, because I love them. And then somebody said, "There's this new band with lead singer sounds like Robert Plant. You'll love them. Let's go see them." And I stumbled in to find a Soundgarden at a small. I can't remember <sighs> somewhere on the on the boulevard here, and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, you know, I mean uh, Chris Cornell. I mean. One of the greats. One of the greats. Yeah. And I mean, it for me, it never got better than Bad Motorfinger. Yeah, I mean, I loved um, 1994. This I, I used to joke around 93. Black Hole Sun and all that? Yeah, that was um, Super Unknown. Right. That was like, I was doing a movie called Drop Zone in Miami for part of it. Oh, Drop and, Zone. And that was, that was like... That was on the camera truck. That was on a cassette in my hotel room every day. That was the soundtrack of 94. That's and, funny. You know, I just wasn't... Bad Motorfinger stayed in my CD player in my yeah, car. Oh, I love that's a great album for a really long time. Yeah. And when Super Unknown came out, it was just too arena rock for me. And you know what? It actually shows our sensibilities. And I I don't mean that in a. It's just really big yeah. and produced, yeah. as opposed to the to the more punk rock feel of Bad Motorfinger. It's like it's yeah. faster paced. Jesus and, Christ pose. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a great song. No, there was some stuff I liked. On Super Unknown, that wasn't that was never going to be a hit like Limo Wreck and Quicksand. I mean, there was some nothing because because they, they had their hits on there. They had like Black Hole Sun and they had um, Fell on Black. Day. I can't remember, but but you're right. Super Unknown yeah. had some slick songs, but I like the ones that were that were never going to be hits. Right. Um, the kind of B sides, as yeah, it were. exactly. Um, well, yeah. I was like the dirtier, you know. Actually, the same is true for me in filmmaking. I like a grungy, dirtier style that's a little more, in depending on the thing, more honest. Yeah. And also more kind of happy accident prone. Yeah. You know? F- yeah, f- feedback where they weren't expecting it. Right. Or just yeah. the going for it and whatever mm-hmm. happens is hopefully it'll be good. Yeah. And if it's not, we'll try something else. Well, no. I mean, yeah. I loved... What, what was the first Soundgarden album? I mean, it wasn't their first, but the one with... um. Uh, hands all over, um, uh, 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 ugly. Yeah, those were like. I don't remember the name of the album. Yeah, I but the, but that one was that was that was like to me that's the that's grunge. That was like right. I you know it was like the kind of thing where it was like I I'm probably not supposed to like this because at the right. same time alternately, I was going up to the Sunset Strip and seeing all these you know hair metal bands, including you know I mean they just had started to break. I mean Warrant was was like a big band then they used to see they used to show up everywhere but like poison had already got kind of got snatched out crew was already snatched out and on the road so i liked all those bands um so i was like you know when, when grunge came in i'm like oh, i'm probably not supposed to like this but god i love it so um but that was what, what i liked about it was like mistakes and all feedback and you could tell well, the microphone was hitting things it shouldn't have hit. Mm-hmm. It was great. Well, I mean, Nirvana recorded Bleach for like $200 under some bridge in Seattle. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, and it sounds like it in a great way. In a great way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you listen to that song, Negative Creep. But the funny part is, like, I bought that box set, that Nirvana box set. Yeah. 10, 15 years ago, whenever it was. And you listen to a lot of it, and you're like, everything good went on went on uh was put out already yeah i didn't find it to i didn't find anything i was like oh yeah and even if it was the recording was so bad that it you know what i mean it's hard to listen to anyway but well um, that was kind of the cool thing about like you know when nirvana because i remember i think i was in key west doing drop zone when they announced that 
Kurt had passed away, right? <sighs> right. Yeah. So, and I'm like, well, they're they're done. They're done. And who would have ever thought? I mean, I think in the history of rock and roll, it's never happened where the drummer goes on to form his own band, writes all the songs, play, and that first album played all the instruments, sings, and it's like to me. I mean, I you know, not to upset in your Nirvana. Fans, no, you don't but, have to shit on Kurt Cobain, but I know what you're no, going to say. No, but I mean, I, Dave Grohl's more talented. Well, it's not even that. It's just I just <laughs> I, I I latched on to Foo Fighters music a lot. I mean, that first album yeah. was so great. I mean, they're all great. It was great. And it they're was just great. such a great live band. I don't think I've ever seen them live, but I've just, I haven't either. There's so many great videos of him pulling people up on the stage oh, and really? just having a great time. You know, it's just um, he's Dave, an interesting, uh, upbeat, fun kind of guy. One man party. Yeah, I watched their documentary, like whatever part four part series or something oh, they had on HBO that was yeah, really good. Yeah. And and look, I'm not into their stuff again, it's super polished. And that's cool. A lot of it sounds really yeah. good. The beginning stuff wasn't as much. Yeah, that first album was pretty It was great. I yeah, loved yeah. it. I loved it. And and it's not that I don't like them, but it's it's more well, I haven't heard all of it either, so maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe they're, I'm missing something. They're the closest thing we have. I mean, you know, obviously you two, but there's they're like the closest thing we have to a big arena, like safe rock band. Yes. But I do like their yeah. I, I do think they're good good musicians and, and fun and, and a lot of their songs are super catchy. You know, there goes my hero and Oh yeah. What's yeah, I mean Well they did great videos too. They yeah, all they have, have a fun. sense of humor. Yeah, they definitely they all have had fun. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, they, that, that's infectious and people respond to that. Yeah, but there's something, and there's something there that he knows about. I mean, there are pl- probably a bunch of things that he's figured out or inherently knows about marketing and about yeah. just a lot of different stuff, how to be an entertainer, right? Yeah. But he didn't have, in certain ways, my opinion, what Kurt had, which was just like this raw emotion thing Yeah. that I think created a not that one's I'm not even saying one's better than the other. They're just different in that way, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 impossible to compare um, you know, cause sure. And not fair to compare either. Well, it's also, you know, an art is so subjective, you know, one, I mean, I don't like rap or country, but right. I think there's certainly people that are, there's the Brad Paisley's that I go, that's an amazing guitar. Right. Player. See, this is, this is He's funny. Phenomenal, right. You and I, I think are the same on this because <laughs> I'm not generally into country, but when you hear a good country song, yeah, you're like, that's a good song. Yeah. So I'm into good music. I tend to listen to, rock or whatever yeah. and, but but yeah and I'm not like a rap fan but I remember back in high school I was super into NWA and easy <laughs> I did some videos with those guys did you really yeah yeah 89 90 um, and like we shot in Nickerson Gardens like we did this one it was a it was like the West Coast rap all stars and it was like Tone Loke and I think NWA came down and like Digital wow. Underground, like a lot of the a lot of them that did like one hit wonders. Mm. But they came down from the Bay Area, and we in Nickerson Gardens was is is a rough. I mean, we got a little bit of cinematic immunity, but while we were packing up, the sun was going down, and the like the, the bodyguard, not the bodyguards, but the local um, security that they hired for the film crew, they were like, "You guys better get out of here." I'm like, "Is it because I'm white?" And he was like, "Well." You just don't want to. This is yeah. This becomes a different neighborhood after dark. It's funny. But it did, was nice that they were like you know they didn't take advantage of us. <laughs> yeah, I did a movie in East LA that was mostly set in like downtown in East LA. It was like a dirty cop movie, and Cuba Gooding Jr. was one of the. Cops. Oh, cool, cool. And we were shooting in kind of you know. I don't even know what you call it, but super East LA, like, and the end of the cul-de-sac is like this weird church thing. It's like a cul-de-sac thing. And we have 
hundreds of extras with face tattoos and they're all from the neighborhood and you know we were approved but you know people would still step out of line so i'm doing a shot one day steadicam shot with cuba and cliff collins and all oh, cliff's the best yeah my favorite actors and a, and a couple of people and um and then we're resetting and going back to one and i had to get back through this doorway to one yeah and there's this dude who was like a background guy but i assume was like a gangbanger in the area yeah with you know fuck you written across his forehead yeah. I, I think that's exactly what it said to be <laughs> honest and i said oh excuse me and he goes what and i'm like i just need to get through it he's like good fucking luck and like yeah. it's just giving me shit and i'm yeah. like uh and cuba's just on the other side of the doorway and he he goes he goes yo to the guy and yeah. he's like uh what and he goes, get the fuck out of his way. <laughs> Cinematic community. Well, because they're all looking up to him. You well, know, yeah, and he knows yeah, that. Yeah, He's a big a, star. Yeah, we're making a movie here. And, right, yeah. right. And and then the guy was like, oh, sorry. And I'm like, it's cool, man. Yeah. Like, you know. No, but. it's funny. I, um, the one episode of Southland that I directed, we scouted and we eventually shot in an area that's, uh, I can't remember the exact area, but it's the division of the LAPD called Newton, and they call it Shooting Newton. It's rough. And so we had our, our tech advisor, which is the best way to kind of call, uh, best label for him, uh, is a guy named Bone. And it's, and, and it's, it's, his real name was, oh God, I can't remember now, but it rhymed with Bone. Okay. And he was, we go in the van, he's in his own car. He, and he's the technical advisor for like the gang stuff? Yeah. Okay, so when we it. go into these neighborhoods, we needed him. So he gets out, he goes, he gets out, he goes into the park and he goes, hey guys, they're with me, they're with me. So, you know, there's like six white people with clipboards and stuff. And uh, <laughs> You're scouting. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, I, and honestly, I'm not afraid of, because I feel like, not that I could talk my way out of anything, but I feel like if somebody goes, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, hey, we're doing this TV show. And look, all the neighbors that knew the show wanted to be in it. They, right. they were actually on their best behavior, and they were nice to us. And I knew it was a rough area. I mean, we just knew. and cause our Just because there's some rough people there also doesn't mean, like, exactly. everybody there yeah. is an and asshole I, and, or something. And I never, <laughs> I never generalize or, or, or right, I, right, I, right. I have no prejudice. But they're just well-known as being, like... Yeah, and, right. I, and, and, and I knew because our, our real tech advisor, um, Chick, a real, uh, you know, LAPD... He says, yeah, you guys are going to go to shoot Newton today. And I was like, eh. um, anyway, <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we end up shooting there. Everything's fine. Cause we, I, you do have a certain amount of cinematic community mm -hmm. and just get a little skitterish with gun, you know, like fake gunfire. So we didn't do that. We're just, my scenes were like someone, somebody got beat up and thrown out of a car and our guys find her. And, and, you know, so we just did the before and we did the after at a, at a, like a convenience store. But what happened was years later, on the news, I see that that Suge Knight had gone to jail because he he was going. They were filming some movie down there in, in that area. They were straight out of Compton. Yeah, was it that? Yes. Yeah, and he's in the donut parking lot, and he backs over two people and kills one of them and hurts one of them really bad. The one he hurt was Bone. No. Yeah. So I and it's funny because I texted you like I said, hey, did you? Because you know Bone was part of our crew. Yeah. And I said, did you hear about Bone and this whole Suge Knight thing? He goes, yeah, crazy. I just you know he texted me back because I yeah I saw that it's crazy. Is the guy okay? He, Bone's fine, but oh, like good. you know, well the I, other guy died. The other guy, I know. Yeah, he was an old, probably a friend of his or something. He was an older older gentleman. Yeah, and, and, and I don't know the details. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, anyway, you maybe don't want to. Yeah, exactly. It's none of my business. No, well, call, I remember when that happened because Colin Hudson did. Um, straight out of Compton. Oh, did he? And do you know? I don't know if you know Colin. Oh yeah, for years. Yeah. Okay. Big Rush fan. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um, 
but uh, uh, <laughs> that was, that's another one of those bands that like I still feel like I'm stuck in the you know I could go back and listen to Twenty One Twelve over I, and over. I love Rush too. <laughs> um, wait, um, X Y Z. Yeah, Y Y Z. Y Y Z. Thank you. Yeah, yes. that's the uh, oh, that's the code. Instrumental. For the, well, it's the code for the Toronto airport. Is that what it is? Yeah, and Y um, Y V R is Vancouver. Right, 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 right. Y Y Z or Y Y Z. Right, as they say. Anyway, Colin yes. Hudson, don't forget what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, and very, very short because <clears throat> hopefully I'll have Colin on soon and we can oh, talk good. more about this stuff. But, but when Colin, we 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 hang out quite often and we're like going to a movie one night and I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like, what what what, what, uh, what have you been working on? He's like, I'm doing this. I'm about to start this movie. I'm like, oh, cool. What kind of what kind of movie? He says, um. It's called, um, it's about some band, <laughs> N-A-W, and I'm like, A-N-W root beer, right? What? Uh, and he goes, yeah, I said, what's it called? He goes, it's called Straight Outta Compton. I go, you're doing the N-W-A movie? And he goes, oh yeah, an N-W-A, <laughs> that's, that's it. it and I go, Trade you. have you not heard of them? And he's like, no, are they good? I'm like, oh my God. That's funny. <laughs> so he had no idea who they were, and he professes to be a big music guy, but certain things we just miss well, it's, it's rap you know i mean and they're from here though that's the yeah, thing i mean yeah. i was in florida and we knew of them yeah you know? yeah they were they were big here um huge no it's it's funny like you, you talk about like and he's my age yeah. it's not like you yeah. know well getting gigs or go like i used to go after gig like when i knew they were going to make this it turned out to not be that great a movie but it was uh about indycar and i think um it's rennie harlan or somebody ron howard no no it was no it was before that but he did one called Drive or Drive. Yeah, that was Formula One seventies period piece. Oh, but this was this was like starting here. I heard about it, and I I tried to get on it so bad. I did everything I could. I made every call I could, and then eventually, I got in touch with the um, second unit DP, and uh, it ended up not ever happening. But that was something that I remember, you know, going after. And they, you know, I was warned when I became a director that that's probably not a good thing to do as a director unless you have a direct, you know, like you know the showrunner or something. Because generally you want to go through an agent, like when, you know, like there'll be a TV show that I know that I'm perfect for. That's right in my wheelhouse, and so that was one of the things. It, it was described to me by my first agent, like you just graduated from high school to college, so whatever habits or things that you did, even if you were successful in the camera world, um, because it's you're considered a technician, probably won't translate. You know, so let me know. And there's any, a different process. Yeah, let me know if there's any right. connective tissue. If the, if you know the showrunner, if you know if there's any connection, let us reach out because you know. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't beg Colin to let let, let you take his place. Well, <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to happen. So <laughs> you know, and I don't know Maddie Libatique, and you yeah. know, yeah. but um um, that's an that's a well shot film, by the way. I don't. I know haven't if you've seen, seen it. it. I didn't see it. I, I wanted. You to. should. It's I, good. I wanted to because it was you know I was in sort of that world a little bit and mm-hmm. um, and I love Paul Giamatti. I know he's in it. And, he yeah. is, but there's a lot of um. There's good steadicam work because it's Colin. Oh, cool. But there's some really great movie work too. Oh, good. Um, they did a lot of that movie on a movie. Oh no, kidding. A lot of it. Yeah. There's one shot where it's anyway. I won't come. To, no reason to describe it. Go watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I will. It, it's um, and that's been kind of fun as a you know director now, like going to Cine Gear and looking at it through. How can I use this as a storytelling mm-hmm. thing? Right. I mean, unfortunately, I kind of come in what I what I call 
moving trains. Like a, when I come onto a show just to do that, my one episode, they've got their pattern down about what works. And I can't upset the apple cart too much. I mean, a little bit I can say, hey, for this shot, it'd be great to get, can we get the snorkel for a day? Because I've had some good success with it. And now mm. it used to be, unless you were doing day exterior, don't even think about it because it, you know you, you lose like three stops with all the glass. But now with digital, you can you can do some night exterior stuff. Use a lot on arrow. You get right on the deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I mean the, for, so in other words that would be an example of something I would request for something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. generally I, I can't really come in and go. I want to do this whole episode on the movie, and that's the way it's going to be. It's, right. Well, that, this is work. Right. Yeah. And this is this is an interesting point you're you're making um, because I've said to friends of mine i've said you know tv directing can be a fairly easy job if you allow it to be i'm not not easy but it doesn't have a lot of sometimes the newer directors come in and try to no 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 i don't care how you do it i want to do this and the whole crew looks at them like they have two heads you know Yeah, there's a pattern you know um i mean look they want you to direct they you know the actors want i mean even number one on the call sheet wants direction I mean, they don't want to be hung out. I mean, you know, I've come on to shows where my first day, I'm like, all right, cool. So you'll, you, if you kind of kind of come in and take in the room a little bit, maybe then we, you know, we can move the chair here or there. You know, I'm, I'm open to whatever blocking. And I've had actors stop and go, oh, my God, you're talking to me. And I go, what do you mean? They go, well, the last director barely spoke to me. I got most of my directions through the first direction through the first AD, and they stayed back by the monitor. And, you know, a couple things, inexperienced, afraid to, to give direction to an actor because, mm-hmm. you know, your fear is that the actor is going to turn to you and go, "Who who are you to tell me what to do?" Right. I've been doing this character for three years. Yeah. Or or, right. or like I've been uh, in my career. You know, I've been lucky. I've uh, you know, Dennis Hopper, James Caan, Faye Dunaway, Ossie Davis, Martin Landau. I've directed like what I consider fucking legends. Hell yeah. That if any at any moment could turn to me and go, "You snot nose little fuckhead," and you think right. you're going to tell. They've all been fine with, with but true artists want to be collaborative. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. In this medium, yeah. So, sure. so there's that. So, so, um, so you know, giving giving direction to actors is is a big part of your job. Yeah, but there's a difference between when I sorry I said easy and I maybe there's a difference between like coming in and wanting to change it. Like you can still direct. <laughs> Well, yeah, like I said, they want you to direct. They right. want you. I mean, they, they. You can still be a director. You just have to. You just have to feel and understand the flow. Yeah, you and take, know when you're going, you're swimming against it. Yeah, and go, and oh, hang on. There's a term I use. I stole from somebody. That's it's. You take the virtual temperature of the room. You mm-hmm. come in. Also, my my days, my seven days of prep before I even I'm, I'm I'm quote unquote on the floor directing. I have seven days of prep period, which you know you spend casting, endless meetings location scouting but in those in that time i i it's like you know going behind the curtain my first ad who's done every other episode up until now usually first day they'll come in to the director's prep room or i'll go into the ad room they close the door and we go okay what what am i talking about here here?" are the situations right she she we got to get her in an hour early we always put her in the second scene of the day right um she just takes a long time in makeup but she's lovely she'll do whatever you want she's great right um this guy's not the greatest actor in the world but he's handsome and we all like him he's super nice so you know you got to be a little patient with him he's he he gets intimidated when this actor's on the on set so he tends to flub his lines it's a different dynamic so tell him he's or you know tell him or her she's the most beautiful girl you ever saw in your life and you're you're so happy so you know you learn how to navigate which is great it's like it's like literally being behind enemy lines um 
right. have the world's and you worst. Get that super secret tip line. Exactly. We have the world's right. worst dolly grip, but they're never going to get rid of them. So you might use Steadicam more than you do on another show. We have. <laughs> is that something you've heard before? Well, no, but that you know that's part of learning how to direct is knowing where your weeks weaknesses and strengths Absolutely. are. Absolutely, and, yeah, and, yeah. and not going to the dolly grip. You're the worst. You're, you're terrible. Or whatever. Oops. Right. You, you know, you just you just go. All right. Cool. All right. Well, we're going to do this today and. Right, you know, it's a Let's lot try of steady cam. Yeah, right. yeah. Right, um, right, right. So I, I, you get, you get, you get that intel for for your seven days of prep. So hopefully by the time you, you know, day one, you kind of know the ins and outs. And I just pretend, I just ignorance. I, I don't know anything. I'm walking in, I'm a blank slate. I know nothing. At least right. that's what I portray. Yeah, no, that's that's a good yeah. way to go. So, so, so you, you walk in humble, and then yeah, they, you know, and you can win people over pretty quick by just you know. Yeah, I you know I guess I do a little self-deprecating sometimes. I'll, you know, I'll work something out and it's just not quite laying there, and I'll say, God, this worked so good in my hotel room last night. I can't figure out why it's not working here, but right. whatever, right. we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. I'm not. Well, I'm not worried. Yeah, I'm a little worried. Okay, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Um, or you know, it's so easy to include everybody. Like, sure. You know, I have a PA that's been hanging out with me and you know saying, "Can I get you water?" And all day, and I'll say, "All right, let's cut. Let's well, hold on. I don't want to move on yet. What do you think, Dave?" Yeah, it was good. Okay, Dave says we can move on. We're moving on. <laughs> Suddenly, Dave's like the hero of the day. It's and it's. I mean, it's little things like that because I certainly worked. It's with having enough, a little bit of fun. Yeah, and I certainly worked with enough directors that were just complete assholes right. and learned nobody's names. And it's like, and you you're know, joining the team in a certain way. Exactly, you're joining the team as the leader. Yeah, and, and, right. and in, a, in a joyful way. I mean, yeah. it's it's two things. You know, you want to get invited back. Sure. They do another season. You want them to go. Hey, we, you know, guys, episode in season one was one of our our favorites right. and was the most fun to do. Or it was terrible, but we loved him. Yeah, like and. <laughs> <laughs> and that you're, there's something to be said for that. Um, but I like the collaborative aspect of what we do. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, I joke around and say, we're making a pie here and every scene is, is a different pie. So I may come in with a quarter of the pie on one scene and the actors may come in with, a, a, you know, the other half and there's a quarter left. That's the cameraman put, does some cool lighting and, but the bottom line is we all want to have a nice, complete, delicious pie at the end of, of mm-hmm. the, the scene and the episode. So nobody's uh, nobody brings in a full pie. It just doesn't happen. It's a collaborative art. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so as you come in, you got to know the actors want to be directed. Um, you know, you, you can always put your signature on a certain – there's certain things, certain shots and things I like to do. I always like, you know, wide shots that turn into a close-up. Um Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know the secrets and the tricks to to light in as few directions as possible. Two, you know, you want to do you want to do one that we can get everything in one direction, and then maybe oh, a couple pieces back. Um, Let me ask you a question because um, th- I want to ask you a couple other things too, but, but related to what you were just talking about. As a guest director on a show, how many? Like, I think I've heard a director tell me before, like, if I can get one shot that I want to do per day. I was kind of building up to that. Is that what? Okay. I used to say, I used to say one scene a day. Well, that's not, but if I, if there's one shot. I don't think a day, that's probable It's not, anymore, it's not no. possible. Mm-mm. But if there's one shot a day when I go, yeah, that's, to me, that's cinema. Right. And, and Something that no one sitting behind you said you needed to get. Yeah. Well, that. that you went and got. That's, that's rare. It happens. I'll, I'll sometimes we'll have somebody, I'll have a showrunner. Or, you know, the writer of that particular episode um, make a suggestion or they'll say, hey, you know, sometimes it's performance and it's just to have it. You know, we got three where she's a little more incredulous. Try and get one where she's, you know, blows it off a little bit more. Okay, cool. Right. Um, because just tone stuff. Or because something. when I moved on to my next thing, he's probably going to go in the editing room and, and, and 
the ability, you know, there's no substitute for having places to go in the editing room. Yeah. That's yeah. why it always baffled me as an operator where I'd have a director do 10 takes that were identical. Because you can only use one. And, you know, why aren't we moving on? Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, I, I, if there's something that's that's cinematic that I can be proud of. And, you know, I always say that I, I feel like I've done my job if I if you can turn the sound off and still tell the narrative the, yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah. So I always look for so those those things where either it's two people, you know, in a bedroom and you slowly dolly back and you realize that there's somebody in the doorway just like five feet or two feet behind the doorway overhearing this whole conversation that you just saw. That, that it's something that the audience it's a, a little addition to a scene well it's the audience right. the audience being ahead of our main characters right except for obviously the one that just overheard that whole very intimate conversation <laughs> but and that may not be scripted right there's sometimes where it comes to you on the day there's sometimes where I can talk to my writer ahead of time I'll go you know this is kind of a cool thing I want to pitch you this idea of making this a little more cinematic in that how about if we did this and sometimes they'll say yeah just do it or they'll go well, let me issue some pages for that because that's cool or it's just trying to get as much time like put it this way there'll be a scene in with uh two people talking in a car driving and you know that's either going to be hostess trays or you'll do a process on the stage with a green screen and i'll say hey you know on day four we're doing that thing at the at the the restaurant what if we took the dialogue in that car scene and we just tacked like two lines like a couplet onto the end of the diner scene and then I pick them up on the street in a steady cam shot that takes them to the car. Still telling that same story, laying that same pipe, but But we don't have to deal with no the car. Insert car, no fucking wiring the thing, no seven fifty a day for the insert Damn car, car and, right. the, and the driver and the process trailer. And and just the, the the motorcycle cops. And so of course the line producers back in the corner going, Yes, 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 yes. Right, right, right. And they'll say, Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, we're not married to that idea. It was just, you know, to get us out of the stage a little bit or whatever. I go, Well, this is we're already gonna be on that same cool deal. street. We got out of the same and thing. you know, the location manager will go, Yeah, we can shoot there. I mean, that's a good you know We own the street already yeah, we're gonna or own whatever, it. We're, right? We're gonna park a truck there, but we'll just park around the corner. So a lot of times you can kinda not try and be a hero or, you know, but you can help Save both the causes at the same time. But yeah, because selfishly, I know that's going to take me an hour instead of the insert car, which will take four hours. Because I want to spend that time on the scene I have later that night. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, again, it's like we're talking about fly swattery. Why you would give up something like that? Well, I'm I'm willing to look at you know things that I want to spend more time on that I know that it's a balance. Yeah, and 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 so again, that's one of the fun parts of coming in, like to the, like I was saying, that moving train. Um, Sometimes you get you run alongside of it, you grab on, you hang on for three weeks, and then you let go, and you're in one, you know, one still in one piece. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't, and that's uh, you know you, you get a script that isn't one of their favorites that probably needs a rewrite, but nobody wants. That's a little bit of a stepchild that they've all kicked aside, and that's the one they're you know, you 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 landed on. Yeah, a lot of times you're booked months in advance. You right. you have no idea what there is no script. The script's yet. not written right. yet. Yeah. yeah. So um. But yeah. that's the challenge. I mean, that and that's sort of the, the episodic director's lot in life is to navigate that and, and survive. Is it hard for you to direct, like, a show that you wouldn't generally be into? Yeah, I used to say that. But then um, I found myself in that situation where um, I've gotten, you know, the, hey, we got to get a call from my agent. We got to offer for you to do this. Here's the dates. What do you think? And I'm like, okay, well, it's not necessarily one of my favorite shows. I probably wouldn't say that. But I go, yeah, all right, great, because work is work. Mm -hmm. 
and I've walked away from or been two days into prepping on a show like that and and I'm just like I'm having way too much fun this is really enjoyable um, like I always say I, I would love to do shows that I wouldn't necessarily pick for myself because you discover things about yourself and you know a lot of times being an episodic director is like being a session musician you know I I may not I mean I may play Bossa Nova on Monday gangster rap on Wednesday and heavy metal on Friday but you got to be good at all of them you got to you know you you you're you know you're a method director sometimes too you right. kind of immerse yourself in the world of whatever you're doing you know it go, it almost goes back in a, in a in a certain little way to what you said earlier sometimes people see things in you that you don't see in yourself yep. and in a certain way i almost feel like that it's like yeah. if they want to hire you to do that show it, they see something yeah do you know what I mean? Even yeah. if you're like, eh. Yeah, and it's it's funny because there's you know there's a huge as you know diversity push, and and I get it, and I understand it. You know, I'm the father of two daughters, and um, but I feel like if you're a filmmaker, you're a storyteller. That's what you do. It shouldn't matter. Like I don't think there's necessarily a a genre or anything that should be male, female, or any ethnicity or, um, I mean nobody nobody. No, certainly not a genre. Yeah, but. You know, if if it's ninety percent men directors and ten percent women, I mean, well, it's a different thing that we're. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the numbers are. I just, know, I don't either. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just. No, but it, I, I always find it funny. Like nobody balked at all uh, when it was announced. I mean, this is thirty something years ago. Spielberg was doing The Color Purple, and that right. was not something you know a Jew from Arizona would necessarily pick for himself. But it, he's a great storyteller and a filmmaker, and so you go. It's a good point. Yeah, you know, and so sure. So I just think there's sometimes there's a lot of emphasis put on, well, you're not right for that. And I, I don't think I've been pigeonholed too much because I kind of float. I mean, I, I'd love to do more comedy. I haven't really done a ton of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I, I that was what I was convinced. I mean, I'd say that, but then again, I talked earlier about Road Warrior and Blade Runner and Alien and Jaws and Exorcist and Hitchcock. And those none of those are comedies. You're a big comedy guy, <laughs> but I did. I also grew up on Monty Python and Saturday Night Live sure. and SCTV. And comedy seems more fun to work on. It uh, it is, but it, it's it's it, you're right. It, it does seem that way. But if if a joke's not working, it's not a happy place to be. Um, no, I think I think I was a big John Landis fan all through high school. Like because he had he was this director that had this streak: Animal House, Blues Brothers, Trading Places. Um, American Werewolf in London, which again horror movie, but had comedy in it. Um, so, so com- I was convinced. That if you asked teenage guy, you know, what are you thinking to do? I, I would, I would think my career would be more along the lines of what Judd Apatow is doing, like mm-hmm. comedy. And but, yeah. but then again, I mean, my favorite stuff: Cuckoo's Nest, The Verdict. I mean, I love drama, 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 yeah, like yeah, real yeah. heavy. Same uh, here, adult stuff. Same here, but know? I like comedy too. Yeah. But but um, but like I spoke to my friend Eric Emerson, and he did like one season of Veep, I guess. And he goes, "You don't understand, like that's like a twenty-four minute show, and there wasn't a script under sixty pages." Yeah, and they try stuff take to take, and then they're alting, 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 yeah. alting. He's like, "We, you know, yeah. you work your ass off on that oh, yeah, show, yeah. and it's all handheld, and oh, you yeah, know, it's a hard show." Yeah. No, I mean, I, I um. I would like again. I like to do more comedy, but I understand how I've kind of not been pigeonholed. But 
you know, procedural cop stuff and, and drama. And so I did, you know, had a run there for a while for about three years where all I did was like comic book stuff, Arrow, Supernatural, Tomorrow People, Secret Circle. And, and you know, I like that too because the rule book gets thrown out the window. Right. That so, could be fun. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. And, and it's fun to direct actors to the you know to get a good performance when what they're saying on the page is so absurd about you know with well, yellow eye demon would never you know you got to pour salt in the wound you got to turn you know you got to you got to gank him you got to put a knife through his heart and then you got to you know put him in a, in a and, and you're like what well you know it sounds crazy but the way it works is the actors that deliver those lines they believe it like when they're saying right. it there's there's this there's this conviction in the way they deliver those lines and when that works you're like you know wow what they just said on on paper makes sense so to crazy, you somehow right but it makes sense right, and right, i buy right, it and right. you know um so that's fun i, I have such that's a good time cool. with with that with those kind of like the like i call them graphic novels or comic book sure. stuff yeah. let me ask you a little bit because we didn't talk much about it but there's there's one or two things i have to ask you about okay. about your operating days okay number one being magnolia right well, um <clears throat> you did study him on that yeah i would day play well, everybody was day playing, so yeah. there were a few, right? Yeah, because Bob Ellswit was the was the camera operator. There was a camera operator, I can't remember his name, on the camera truck all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't, I didn't see him off the camera truck very much. I mean, obviously union rules and all that at the time. Yeah, yeah and so no longer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, it's definitely no longer. Yeah, no. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, he, the, the, I was finishing up the second Austin Powers movie. What would have been. I think we started. So you did too, because I was going to ask you about. The, okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, because I think we started at the end of '98 and finished at the beginning of '99. And while we were finishing it, I got a call from Bob Ellswit one day, who I think I had talked to a couple years earlier about another movie, and I wasn't available. But I liked Bob's style. I liked his lighting, and I just I heard he was just a cool, laid back guy. It's so good, man. Yeah. Anyway, go. On. Anyway, so so he called me, and I was excited because I knew that I knew it was this new. PTA, I like Boogie Nights. New, new Paul Thomas Anderson. I knew um, Tom Cruise was in it. And a couple years earlier, this is even crazier. When I did Peacemaker in '96, I got to know Tom a little bit because of Nicole Kidman, who was the star with George. Right. We George were mo- Clooney. Yeah, we were yeah. mostly in Europe, and so um, Tom was promoting the first mission impossible and he was on a private jet they would do like a, a stint in london then they would have a couple of days off and they'd go to paris so he'd come over to i think we we're in bratislava slovakia he'd land and come and hang out for a day with his wife and we'd hit the basketball around and you know i got to know him and he was a big fan of er i just come off of that with mimi leader so you just casually became friends with yeah Tom i mean Cruise. i just got to know him and i said so what's going on he goes well i'm going back to london because um i got to meet stanley and i go who's that he goes well i'm doing this movie me and nick are doing this movie called eyes wide shut with stanley kubrick so you know like your eyes just did i went whoa whoa he goes he goes i know it's crazy i've had all these great meetings with him and um you know, he hasn't made a movie in 11 years. The last movie he made was 87. It's now 96. Mm-hmm. Wait, 80, 80, 85. It's now 96. He hasn't made a movie in 11 years. Go, what was wow. it? Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I go, wow, that's great. I'd, I'd do anything to work on that. He goes, all right, well, let me see what I can do. And I'm like, oh, that's nice of you, Tom. So anyway, make a very long story short, I did get a call from Tom Cruise saying, I need you to call this guy Brian Cook in London. I told him about you, and they want to talk to you about coming in over to London to do Eyes Wide Shut. Eventually, it, it ended up not happening for a couple different reasons. Um, I, I kind of regret it, and I kind of don't. Um, but I, the, the longer it goes on, I, I do regret it, because it would have been a year of my life 
hanging out with Stanley Kubrick every day. I want to hear these reasons. At, didn't at, uh, it was a combination of things. Um, but that would have been like, I would have missed out on, in hindsight, I would have missed out on a lot of other gigs I would have done in 90, because it would have taken up the whole 1997. Sure. So I would have missed out on replacement killers and Deep Impact and some other stuff. Were you a father at the time? I was. She was three. Um, you That's know, another reason. Born in 94. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's a couple things. But anyway, so I knew Tom. So I go, yeah, God, Tom's new movie. You're shooting it. Paul Thomas Anderson. I love Boogie Nights. He goes, can you start like tomorrow? And I go, um, I just did two movies in a row, Bowfinger and Austin Oh, he wanted you to start tomorrow. It, it was like, it was like, we need you quickly. Um, Paul doesn't want to work anymore with the guy that we've had. And, and, um, and I, you know, you, you know, you and I've been trying to work together all these years and I know you're in town. That's rare. And so I said, all right, I'll do what I can. And so I said, but I just, with Uli Steiger, I did Bowfinger and Austin Powers, like back to back, almost the same exact camera, electric grip crew. And it we're pretty tight. So we had a couple of weeks to go and I said, just let me, is there any way I can finish this out? He goes, yeah, I mean, I can bring in someone else, but you know, I want you to start. So the first actual shot I did, I think was the, the crazy one where the, the kid and Felicity Huffman, Felicity Huffman. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Bill, yes. Ma- Bill Macy's wife. Yes. Yeah. And I knew Bill already from uh, ER. So, um, come in out of they put built rain towers we came in out of like fake rain and then through the whole backstage area of the kids um game show oh what, yeah what kids there's know. some big shots back there yeah one, it just goes and then we get in were an you elevator. hard mounted in some of that stuff no no it was it was all one shot um in an elevator oh. at the end but the worst part of it was i had to completely wrap because those rain towers are like they give off like a hundred times more oh, yeah. rain than a real rainstorm. Yeah. Had the whole entire camera was wrapped in plastic and I had full rain gear on boots, everything. So it's like, and that was the first, everywhere like, you go. That was like the first 5% of the shot. So right. the rest of it, I'm going through this whole backstage. It was where the tonight show with Jay Leno was going on at the time. Oh really? Yeah. We took over in the Burbank whole, there. Yeah. We took over. Let's, we, you, they're not there anymore, but it, it was the whole NBC complex. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. And it was like the Howie Mandel show set was there at a talk show back then. 20 years ago and then we go all the way up into an elevator and it was the craziest thing because we get in there and you know the kid is like you know five foot one and felicity's you know five foot or whatever there was a huge difference i think an e-series anamorphic 50 millimeter or whatever the camera was i could barely get it through doorways much less the the doorway of because that 50 is gigantic like it looked like a five to one cook five to one yeah so we get in there on a rehearsal and they stop the elevator and I go, well, I don't know what you want me to do. Do you want me to pick and choose on the dialogue? Because I'm like a couple feet from a couple feet from them and I can't, I either cut the kid's eyes in half right. or, you know, I can't hold both. Or it's her here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No headroom for her. And I right. said, unless, I mean, unless I Dutch angle the thing, he goes, okay, do that. So I get in the elevator and I, I it was kind of funny because it was a little bit of an optical illusion. Like you don't even really notice that it's a Dutch angle because there's no verticals in there. I right. think from what I remember, I'd have to look at the shot again. But that's what we did. But the problem is when you Dutch angle a Steadicam, if you Dutch angle motor or finder side down, you're pushing the whole rig out in front of you. And as you know, that's like that's like the worst thing on your back. So and I, I, for some reason, we couldn't swap them because she was supposed to hit the button or something. Like, she knew where she was going. The kid didn't. Right. So she had to be near the front. Anyway, nightmare of a shot. We did, like, 15 takes. I finally got to, like, uh, take 15, and um, my knees were getting weak. First time I'd ever experienced that. 
And uh, I said to Bob, I go, I just, I don't know if I can do this anymore. He goes, all right, well, let's take a break. And then he goes to Paul. He goes, you know, guy, guys needs to take a little break. And um, he goes, hey, yeah, he's, he's deserved it. I mean, we've, because we, we, we blocked and lit up to lunch and we came back after lunch and started rolling. Really? Yeah. The whole, sh- the whole day was just for that shot. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I've spent a lot of finger rolling. They rehearsals. don't make movies like that anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a big. Maybe Paul does. I don't know. Yeah, but. big, you know, big anamorphic Panavision. Um four eighths of a page a day or whatever i mean that day i guess was, that pr- that movie he probably had the most leeway and money yeah i mean boogie nights was a big success yeah and it was um yeah and, it, it, and i came into it they were already obviously shooting it and then the ironic part of this whole thing is i never worked with tom on that because he had already moved on he had to start some movies so he only had he that, did his two weeks or whatever well that was it, was. it. that's what was happening is they were prepping while we were doing um when I was doing uh, Bowfinger or no Austin Powers and Tom wanted to do the movie and said the only way we can do this is I have two a two week window before I, ha- I have to be in like Budapest or something and so they like stopped prepping and started shooting before they were done prepping so they just prepped those two weeks shot that and then shut down or something no I think they went right into production just oh. prematurely so that's oh. why everything was like he couldn't wait for we have to shoot and got so, it anyway that's and, really beca- and because I wanted to stay and just be loyal to the end of uh, this, that Austin Powers movie, I missed all the Tom Cruise stuff. But <laughs> um, yeah, and, and so that shot was was a memorable one. And we did a couple. We did another big rain. Were you work. happy with the shot? Yeah, Were you happy yeah. to do the Dutch thing? And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I was willing to do whatever we needed to do. And then the funny thing is, like, we got to the end of you know, like, like you know, when Bob said to Paul Thomas Anderson, "Hey guys, you know, got to take a break here." He's actually like getting winded or really I was loo- I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you kind of get weak at the knees I have yeah, yeah. I mean that was a, as heavy a camera it was easily 75 80 pounds um, which which camera did you have lightweight Panaflex but with a that, lightweight with, with that, a 50 with the e-series e-series mm-hmm. so uh, he goes you know we kind of kind of got it on like take seven or eight I, he goes guy which one was your favorite I said yeah I think eight was probably the winner we rewound it a few times and all right we got this let's wrap so we wrapped it like you know ten hours or whatever. But he would have had me keep doing the shot all day. I mean, just it was because we were having. He fun. has a Kubrick style to him. Yeah, I mean, not that we didn't do it. It's just like this is working. This is kind of fun, and you know, this is a, this is you know everybody's you know guy must be having fun. This is like a steady cam operator's wet dream. Right. Um, you know, because I you know, coming off of two seasons of ER, there was that little bit of you know fame and cachet that of uh, well, the, you know, we got the guy that this did guy ER, does ER, right? Which was a blessing and a curse, as you know, right? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know, I don't. I mean, I understand why, yeah, but yeah. Um, I mean, I've never done a show that did such extensive, long, steady. I mean, it broke super new ground. Yeah, it, it was, and it was nice being responsible for. I mean, it was talking about the ER, like the pilot. I mean, the story was Rod Holcomb. I mean, the pilot was originally it was it was Michael Crichton's it was a full length screenplay. Yeah, that I know he, he wrote about a movie. His, yes, right. his experiences as an intern right out of med school in Chicago. I think mm-hmm. it was Chicago. And um, so when they when they broke it down and turned it into a TV script, or I think John Wells adapted it. Um, I think I think John gets credit for writing it. Um, they kind of didn't really tweak the amount of cast, so there was like 130 speaking parts in a two hour movie. So, you know, Rod's philosophy was, from what I remember, was that I, there's no way everybody's going to get a piece of coverage. So we're going to do these long, uninterrupted things where people are just going to come into the frame, say their dialogue, and take off. Somebody has to sign a chart, or we'll go, we'll stop for a second, I'll do a three. We can't do right. a setup for everybody. It's yeah, just ridiculous, and, and, and right. they, were, they were really at... Um, I can't remember. It's in Boyle Heights. I can't remember the name no, of it. No, I know that hospital. Yeah. I've, it's I've the been basement. 
Yeah, I've been where I've shot there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't did. know how you shot that pilot there. Well, no, I, but I didn't do the pilot. Oh, you didn't. But that was the thing is like they looked and they, we can't move any of these walls. And, you know, when thank God when I came to do the show, they were already in episode seven. Right, right, And right. they had basically taken that exact, they went down there with tape measures and they recreated what they shot the pilot in on stage at Warner Brothers, but they made the door slightly wider. They made the glass gimbalable. I did a, I did a hospital show in Albuquerque uh, yep. called The Night Shift. Yep. I did the pilot. Yeah. We did it in a real hospital. Yeah. It's and tough. then- they did exactly that. They measured everything, made everything a little wider, yep. and they built the whole thing on on the Albuquerque stages. But yeah, I think I think uh, walked that set. I did a show called The Messengers. I think we're on the same in that building, the huge like former aerospace or some building or something. Well, there's the sound stages out there. Yeah, this was. I don't think they. This, it wasn't purpose built as. Oh, okay. So yeah, it yeah. might, might have been a different place. These were. They're called like ABQ Studios or okay, something. Yeah. But but um. But I know there are some hangers out there that are. That yeah, I can't remember. I know that. like Terminator. One of those shot in those giant hangers and yeah. stuff. A- anyway, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but um. So so uh, uh. Getting back to. Yeah, you I'm know, blabbing away. Sorry. No, getting back to ER. I mean, that was what it was philosophy. If I'm ever gonna, you know, on a whatever 15, 14 day schedule, there's only. Whatever, however many days it might have been the, the good old days when they actually had like a 24 day schedule to do it was a two hour pilot I think so um so that was kind of set forth in the pilot and then they inherited the who same, did the pilot uh the, the director no 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 who who did Steadicam uh, uh Ron Vidor and Ron is is who they brought with them to do the series but the cameraman Tom Del Ruth left early to go do. He just didn't want to do ER. He eventually got back together with them on Westwood. Right. And um and Ron, you know, like I don't. It's been twenty four years, so I don't remember the details. But Ron just wasn't happy. I think he he was renting a rig, and it was like it wasn't, you know, wasn't his baby, and so it just it wasn't a happy place, from what they tell me. Yeah. yeah and it was fun because when I jumped on episode seven, um, I had already worked with Clooney. And I'd already worked with Anthony Edwards. So those guys were so happy to see me because they had worked with me on other things. And, you know, I was this crazy long-haired kid. Did you do The Peacemaker before you? No, no. I Clooney, I, <laughs> I did, Day played on this little series he did called Sunset Beat that oh, I think lasted right. like two or three episodes. He was like right. a, a Harley driving, right. Harley riding, um, undercover cop by day. With rock a star, bad mullet. Rock star by night. Yeah, he had crazy long hair. Um, but I, it's so funny the things you remember like – and it's a long story, but I just remember him being the sweetest, kindest, like went out of his way to be nice to me for no reason. Like yeah. there was some, there was some incident that happened. It wasn't a big deal. And I was like, Hey, it's no big deal. And he's like, no, nope, no, nope, that's wrong. It's like my friend Carol Flint on ER. Nope. You're not sitting back there. You're sitting with us. So there you go. Like, like a lot of times you impress people and you don't mm-hmm. even realize you're doing it. So I knew George from that. And that was probably four years before ER. And then I had known Anthony from, um, a little indie movie when I was still working at the rental house in like 87 a little indie called um, Miracle Mile and I remember that movie yeah it was a cool little like end of the world kind of movie yeah it was um, a cool movie yeah it was cool and so I, I had worked with him I worked at the rental house but on the weekends they would do pickups was and the, Jake Gyllenhaal in that? I don't think so but it's so funny how it worked out My and <laughs> my boss Max who I just saw at Cindy Gear got me started in the business um they would say, we don't have any money, but we need pickups. We're sh- we want to shoot Saturday and Sunday. Is there any way you can give us like a half a day rental for two days? Or in- and Max would go, look, I'll practically give you the equipment, but you got to take my guys out to be your assistant. It's non-union. So I got mm-hmm. I went out as a loader on a week. I'm fucking making 
$50 a day. This is awesome. Right. And so just like loading movie cam magazines, I got to know Tony. So that was it's funny to, you know, all those years later get reunited. They were so happy to see me. That was, that was a fun. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and, and I had Dave Comites in here and we talked about him doing the Emmys with Tony on stage and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, let's see. Well, you brought up the last couple of things I wanted to make sure is, is Austin Powers and Bowfinger, <laughs> which you brought up both of. Right. Were you doing Steadicam on those two? Yeah. I mean, Bowfinger was the kind of thing where I, I at the beginning of 98, I did a pilot with Chulak, the one in, uh, in D.C. and Baltimore. And I went right from there to um, Homa, Louisiana, which is outside of New Orleans, um, to do a movie called Crazy in Alabama. And mm. it was, um, even though we shot in Louisiana, uh, <laughs> directed by Antonio Banderas and starring his wife at the time, Melanie Griffith. Indie, small. And um, I was brought to that project by uh, Jim Dyer, who was the produ production manager on Replacement Killers that I did in 97. Mm. So here it is a year later. And they're looking for a camera operator, steady cam operator, and I had never worked with Julio Macat. So Jim goes, "Come on down and meet Julio. I think you guys work great together, and we need somebody. And I know how good you are, and I've I've talked you up, so don't fuck it up, kid." And I'm like, "You got it, Jimmer." <laughs> so I go down there, I meet Julio, and I go, and I, you know, kind of knew Julio's work, and right. at that time he had done like Home Alone, so he was a pretty big, he still is. Um, and so by the time I get back home, Jimmer calls me, he goes, "Hey, you got the gig, kid. We're going to you know Home of Louisiana. Pack your bags or whatever." So I go, "Okay, I got to do this pilot." But I can meet you guys down there. So I did Crazy in Alabama in '98, and then I think we did like half of half of it in in Louisiana, and then we traveled back to LA to finish it on stage. and And it was a period piece, so we shot some LA period stuff. But there was a week off in between because Antonio Banderas was promoting Zorro, and he had to go to New York and do like the Today Show or something. Mm -hmm. So we had a week, so we traveled home. Um, and I think in that week, my friend and you probably know him too, Billy Odrobinak. Great, I don't. great, awesome A camera operator, um, good friend, good pal of mine. He was the A camera operator um, on Bowfinger, and so he he calls me. He goes, "Hey man, are you in town? Where I'm uh, I'm having a joint birthday party at my DP's house, Uli, um, this weekend or whatever coming up. Um, you got to come by. You got you got to come by. You got to meet everybody. I'm, we're doing this movie right now called Bowfinger. I go, oh, cool. Who's in it? He goes, uh, Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy, and I'm like, oh fuck. Like two, two, you know, legends. I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. And oh, yeah. Who doesn't love Eddie? So I go to the party, and I meet Uli for the first time, I think. And so we're talking. I go, yeah, I'm doing this thing with Julio. We're about to finish. He goes, well, you know, let me know when, let Billy and my guys know when you finish, because I'm sure we're going to have a day of Steadicam coming up. And I go, great. Oh, directed by Frank Oz. Right. right. So that's that's as cool as it gets, too. And I go, I've always wanted to meet Frank. I'm a big fan of, you know, what about Bob? And I mean, for Christ's sakes, he's he's Miss Piggy and Yoda. Give me a break. <laughs> so, you know, um, so I do. I say, hey, Billy, I'll be done on this date. Great. We're doing this this shot in the mansion. We need you to come down a hallway, pan um, Eddie into this room. And it's in and, and I and they want to book you. Great. So I come down and I do the shot or we block the shot out and we put the 35 on. It's not quite selling the hallways. So we put like a 27 on something, you know, as you know, the wider you get, the easier, quote unquote, the shot is. 
I didn't necessarily like wide lenses because it was too much real estate. Like it was less forgiving on Agreed, horizon. Totally, yeah. yeah. So I, I always, I would, my default setting was 35 at least. And sometimes I put the 50 on, yeah. which sounds crazy, but it, you know, cause your concentration. No, it doesn't sound crazy at all. Yeah. And nowadays, dude, oh, I, know. I mean, I'm, uh, an old DP I worked with, we, f- I flew the 19 and 90 the whole time and we shot a lot of stuff at, a at 90. the far, at the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we, uh, we put the 27 on our, like, oh, it's going to be easy. So we come down the hallway I bring Eddie and his entourage in. We pan him into this room. He's supposed to, like, we had a gag where he's supposed to have a gun, loaded gun. He shoots a, a cymbal on his drum set, and we had it all rigged. So we do it in one take. It all works out great. And Frank Frank Oz goes, cut! And, of course, when he says cut, it's either Miss Piggy or Yoda, depending Get on. Get out of here, really. So this, that's as cool as it gets. <laughs> and he goes, Billy. Every time, all yeah, the time? Yeah, So because he can't help it. It's his voice. So he goes, Billy, how was that? And Billy, who is now over his shoulder, goes, I was good for me, Frank. Are you happy? And he goes, what the fuck are you doing here? And he goes, that was Guy on Steadicam. He's like, that was, that was too good to be Steadicam. I can't. He comes around the corner. He goes, holy shit. I go, yeah. Was he didn't wh- even know you were there? Well, he did, but he just forgot. He just, uh, you know, we rehearsed yeah, yeah, yeah. it. We said, okay, let's go wider, go wider. And then he went off and, you know, did his thing. He, you know, him and Steve Martin were talking about something, I'm sure. So the next day, there's no steady cam, but there's a B camera day. And they go, we kind of already booked this B camera operator. I'm like, it's cool. I mean, yeah, I just, yeah, I, no I, you know, I had a great experience. I met Eddie. I met Steve Martin. <laughs> and here's the, here's the kicker there's a movie called Vanishing Point where the, the movie it's from the 70s it's a there's a white Dodge Challenger it's like a 70 71 white Dodge Challenger and I'm a big muscle car Mopar fan and the guy that plays Kowalski the the, the head of or you know the star of the movie is an actor named Barry Newman who I haven't heard uh, from or her or I hadn't at that time 98 in years well guess who plays Eddie Murphy's agent Barry Newman so I'm like Mr. Newman it's such an honor to meet you and he was like me he's like pointing to himself like well why why me I go well vanishing point I'm a big muscle car fan he's like you know people stop me all the time I get people I'll be walking through the grocery store and somebody will go Kowalski he goes it's the weirdest cult movie it's so strange anyway <laughs> so a day or two goes by and I get a call from one of the camera assistants saying hey we know you're not going to like this or say or agree to this but Frank keeps asking if if you can come back, if you can come back and work on the show, and we tell him, well, you know, when it was a steady cam shot, he's like, no, just for as my as our B camera operator. And Billy's like, you know, guy's great, he's my friend, I'd love to have him, but he probably won't do it because he makes money by renting the steady cam out. And they, he, Frank said, just call him. So before the guy could finish the sentence, I said, look, I'm in this business to work with people I want to work with on projects that I love. I read this script. It's fucking awesome. I mean, Steve Martin wrote it. I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know how cool it is. Yeah. I go, I'm there. I don't care if you if we don't if we never do another Steadicam shot on the show. I'm there. Tell tell him I'll be there. I'll be there. You know, whenever whatever. Sure. So I literally finished the rest of the movie and we did a fair amount of Steadicam. We did some really cool stuff at Griff at Griffith Park. Well, I'm sure once you were there. There, you know, there is that proclivity to yeah. just be like, well, we do have Steadicam. We could turn this into a walk and yeah, talk. Yeah, and, and we did uh, right. Griffith Park, or Griffith Observatory, rather. We did some stuff that was only Steadicam, like walking, like like if you've seen the movie, you know, Eddie and his, or uh, Steve and his and his film crew that he gets, you know, out at, at you know outside of Home Depot, um, they are trying to secretly film Eddie Murphy. And so we did some stuff at night where they're stalking around Griffith Observatory, trying not to get. And so it, was it just, makes me laugh just thinking. Yeah. About it. Well, we did we did like we did these shots where we're coming around a corner and Steve Martin stops, and then I I 
whip pan back and I see the whole film crew stop and then I whip pan back to Steve and we keep going and so you know back by the monitor I can hear Frank laughing and so he goes this is great this is so great. You did, did you just make that up on yeah the... I mean we talked about okay what, what kind of variation can oh, we do because okay. this is the you know what we want to do point A to point B and Steve would be like well I don't know there's something nice about it. if I look over my shoulder and the camera goes great let's do that yeah, yeah, yeah. and then so we do another variation. Finally, we go back to the monitor. We, you know, feature film. You re rewatch every take. We're only doing six eighths of a page that day. And Frank Oz, Eddie Murphy, and Steve Martin and Uli, they all turn to me and go, "What guy? What do you want to do next?" And I'm like, uh, "I can die now." Uh, so, so yeah, it was, it was great. It was great to like be, you know, because being camera operators and you know, no that's them accepting you and saying yeah, like you well, have good ideas too yeah it's what like it's we're a, geniuses and we <laughs> appreciate your work no it is though, well, yeah right? well that was exactly because which is the way you took it yeah I, you're wildly creative but you're also a technician and sometimes yes. you just like go from point a to point b so to be part of the comedic process as well as you know like telling the story with those mm -hmm. guys and they didn't know me from anybody i joined the movie late i can't you know again i was waiting for uh I had to I had to wait for the L.A. portion of yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy in Alabama to finish. Sure. Um, and I did, you know, I, the day after I called Billy O and I said, hey, man, I'll, I want to come play. And he steady cam, let me know. And so anyway, it turned into a, a cool gig. And, and that was 98. That took me to, um, I guess, like summer of 98. And then um, the end of 98 or before we even finished, Uli takes me aside and goes, hey, I, I'm going on to do the second Austin Powers movie. And I'm bringing everybody with me. Do you want to come and do it? And I said, Yeah. I mean, he goes, I, he goes. The only thing I don't know is how much Steadicam Jay's going to want to do. And I said, Look, our deal stands. I'll if it's there. They rent it from me when we use it, and it just sits in the truck if we don't use it. And again, because it was available, Jay Roach, who had been a camera operator in a previous life as well, I think Jay even took me aside one day and said, You know, the camera operator is the greatest job in the business. I'm like, well, Oh, really? Yeah. But you're the director of this movie. He's like, Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like sort of earlier, what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Um, funny so yeah so there you go um so that took me through 98 austin powers um which was a hoot and we had the same kind of like rapport where we did like these cool whip pans and tilts and using the camera as a like i remember when we introduced mini me the first time they first see him in a sh as a shadow so we had a photo double for our for um Mike Myers as as Doctor Evil come up behind the thing. He put the puts the pinky up to his mouth, and the and the thing was we had it where the shadow went on the on the like a translucent panel, and then the door slides open really quick and nothing's there, and so and you tilt down. Well, I whip tilt down. So what we did is I was always on the tighter lens, and so what we did is we did that and it worked great on the A camera because you know you see the big tall six foot shadow and, and then pink. yeah and so and it's there. But in one of the rehearsals, I'm intentionally, you know, was holding headroom on the shadow. And so I waited one, two, and I whipped tilt down and Jay Roach died laughing. And it's using the camera as a character, you know. Yeah. And then you cut to Mike Myers going, you know, as as <laughs> Dr. Evil. Or no, you cut to like the rest of the crew and Dr. Evil's very proud of him because it's in his own image. But the rest of the people go, what the fuck is that? Oh, I felt so bad. Vern just passed away. My it was so so funny. My thirteen year old daughter texted me. She was like, "Dad, I'm sorry," because I mean I only knew him from the movie, but mm -hmm. he was like a big he like he was into chicks and muscle cars. And he heard that I had a '69 Super. Oh, really? Yeah. So he was like, "Hey, guy." So they built it. They, it was so cool. They built him this great. Geez, five thirty. Um, get a phone call from from the home base. Uh -huh. um, but they built him this really great 
director's chair just for him made out of apple boxes they screwed it all together they covered it with like button and tuck and and so wherever it went they slid it and he would have this little throne and it was cool. great because i would just come in and sit on my butt next to him and we just talk cars and and like right after that he got very popular to the point where they, he was like a regular at the playboy mansion i was so yeah. happy, i was so happy for him <laughs> but uh yeah Vern troyer Sweet, sweet hardware guy, may he rest in peace. Yeah, I never got to work with him or anything. Like, yeah, he's a hoot. Yeah, that's cool. Well, there's that whole sequence if you watch the movie again where Austin and and uh, Felicity Shagwell, another Felicity, <laughs> yeah. show up um, on uh, this moon base, and they go. They're hunting through the thing, and they they anyway. It was three like three entire days where everything was on the steady cam, and it was basically where Mini Me is beating the shit up, at, uh, beating the shit out of Austin Powers. To the point where he bites a hole in the crotch and climbs through the suit. Right. And um, so it was partially with Vern, obviously. All the, you know, the, the where he's, he's, he's like checking, he like beats him up. He yeah, stu- yeah, yeah. He stomps on his then glasses. Then there's stunt guy stuff, right. Yeah. And then, and then um, well, he's too small to double, stunt double, but they had like a fully articulated, um, like a mini me robot and oh, that then, they could throw around and yeah stuff. then they had oh, one right. that was half that they sewed to his out to his costume like he was biting his crotch oh man and it was like we're shooting it and jay's very, jay's the real technician like okay he's going through the shot list and i'm i come after a take my i've got tears in my eyes i'm laughing so hard as the camera operator hang up the steady cam i go jay you realize this may be one of the funniest sequences ever put on film he's like <laughs> okay good all right so the next shot we want to get is i'm like oh he's, he can't enjoy it and, now, and of course you know a year and a half later i became a director and i'm like i understand why Jay could not enjoy, you know, because you. It may be the greatest thing ever, but you got to do the next greatest thing ever. There's a clock ticking in your head, and and I got three more setups, and and lunch is coming up, and the UPM's breathing down my neck. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we do. Was that the was the number two? Was that the one where he did like the forty point turn in the golf cart? Yes. Yeah, there was some shit in there that I, 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 I this will never be in the cut, and oh, they left ahead. it in. No, there was there's stuff that we shot that I said. Oh, you thought is, would never be yeah, in. It's funny as hell, but it'll never be in there. Well, you know, we were talking about traffic earlier and bad drivers and stupid yeah. people, and I'll see people like do an illegal U-turn on like a tiny small, you know, side street. Yeah, and they're like Austin Powersing <laughs> their way out of the thing. A Forty point turn. It's like what. <laughs> What are you doing? Dude? They could have gone a half, half a block. They could have just driven around the block. It right. would have been. Right. I mean, anyway, it's just always like. But it's funny that I'm like, way to Austin Powers it, bitch. Yeah, like, exactly. You dummy. It, yeah, it became a verb. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole sequence where Mike's wife at the time wrote alternate lyrics to just the two of us. And Mike says, we should put a music video right in the middle of this thing. And they did. And so we shot this whole thing. It was all like a lot all on Steadicam where Mike's playing a piano a la. The island of Dr. Moreau, and he's got a miniature piano that Vern is sitting at. So it's like a, a miniature version of Dr. Evil on top of the big piano. Uh-huh. And then they break into um, just the two of us, sort of the, the, I think it was a rap version. And he's talking about, you know, my, my son Scott, you know, and so Seth, and Seth and I went way back. I, I knew, knew Seth five years before that. He's and, a funny guy, too. Yeah, Seth Green, awesome. Very, very underrated talent. So guy. good on Entourage. Oh, he's good. As he's, himself, he, remember? Yeah, well, I, why he isn't, like, bigger a, a bigger star is... is But he, I guess he works quite... And he had his... Well, he's some he, family guy. and Yeah, he's got robot chickens. He's got yeah, his own so show. He's, so he's, he's not hurting. Sure, he's busy. Um, but yeah. uh, anyway, so so we did this whole music video, and I'm we're shooting this, and I'm looking around going, this is never being the cut. This is right in the middle of a narrative <laughs> movie. We're doing this stupid music video, and I'm doing Dutch angles, and I'm like... There's guys like 
with like giant wrenches dancing with hard hats on. It was all, super weird. It was all our background artists that were walking. Was it the in shop. the movie? It's uh, the whole thing is in the movie. Oh, I don't remember. It's been I, a long time since. Yeah, I've I went seen and saw it. it. I'm like, I can't believe they left. It's because it's funny. Funny's funny. Well, the funny part. It wait was that that's long before Magnolia. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, sh- when we shot them, they were almost right on top of each other. Oh right, because it was night. It was the beginning of '99. I finished. Oh, was that? It was that late. Went to Magnolia nine, at the beginning of '99, oh, and okay. then I left Magnolia. I actually went up to Paul Thomas Anderson and said, "I gotta go quit. I'm going to do a TV show." And he was like, "Are you fucking kidding?" There's Philip Baker Hall right there. John C. John C. Riley right there. You're gonna leave this E series animal. Paul said that to you. Yeah, Bob Ellswit. I said, "They're gonna let me direct. It's a pilot for this new show." And that was Third Watch. Watch. Yeah. And he's like, "All right." Get, for, get get final cut. And I said, yeah, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> Did he tell you that? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. And Give you me. said, I'm going to go direct. I said, I, I got a shot to direct. It was great. Bob Ellswood gave me a great piece of advice. He goes, just remember, guy, and it rings true to this day. He goes, when you when you direct television shows, because he had shot a lot of pilots. Yeah, yeah. And he was in that world a little bit. He said, you're shooting for everybody but yourself. You're shooting for a showrunner, a network, a studio, the stars. It's all about making them look good. Like, if you can get one shot a day that you're proud right. of do it and so you know it's, it's words to live by right well i just made wait, we'll we'll go here because we're we've gone kind of long and i know <laughs> i know your phone's blowing up uh, you know family calls but um no the funny part is you're talking about austin powers how the music video will never get in yeah and then you go to magnolia and what is there in the middle of magnolia yeah, crazy a music video yeah with all that um in the totally different vein yeah with uh, amy mann yeah, yeah, beautiful I, song. Yeah, did you shoot all? Did you work on all that? I don't think stuff? I did. I don't remember doing any of that music video stuff because it was it was. The you kind weren't of there thing. full time. You were just no, day playing. I, and then camera. what would happen is I'd get I, at the time I had Wendy Schneider was my agent. And she was like, "Hey, I got a day on X Files. I got a day on this." And I couldn't. You, you, know, you never turn down work. And I get a day, and they would call me and say, "Can you be here tomorrow morning?" And I'd be like, "I can't. I can't." I. And so I think Liz Ziegler came in. Randy Nolan, I did think did some. So we all kind of shared credit on it. But there's a couple shots in Magnolia, and I, I proudly say that's the movie that put me into retirement. Because pretty soon after that, I mean, because I did, I did of course go on and do the first eleven episodes of Third Watch. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon after that, the beginning of 2000, I think I kind of f- sent my Steadicam back to LA and and just became a full time director. But um, but I proudly say that Magnolia was the movie that put me into retirement because it. And and happily, it's a good I mean, one to end on. It's a good on. one to end on, and there's like two or three of my favorite shots I ever did in there. Are there? And you know, fifty, you know, big, uh, big E series anamorphic Panavision yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got some really good um, stills from that. Peter Sorrell was a still photographer. Oh, really? Who hooked me up with some really great? Send them to me. I'll use them on the thing. Yeah, I. It's funny on Insta- <laughs> on Instagram recently. I found an old picture, and I put this was maybe you know, two months ago. I put a picture up that you know throwback to it wasn't throwback Thursday I just put throwback to I tried to remember the date location and I found an old one uh, I can't remember what it was and like so many people bombarded me keep them coming so I just kept going back through books and so it's if you check my Instagram there there's a bunch of them on there oh, oh cool. there's one good one with uh when I worked on uh, um, Titanic James Cameron and I talking and it's so funny because I had just come off of ER well I came off of ER and went right on to Peacemaker and then went right down to um, Rosarito, and um, you didn't do Steadicam on that at all, did you? Right on t- Titanic, yeah, just for like ten days. Oh, so you did? Yeah, and that, that's the picture on my Instagram. You'll see. It's, oh, cool. Uh, it's um, Russell Carpenter took the still. It was like a black and white. Um, you know, we used to do black and white pol- Polaroid test pictures. Of course, yeah. You know, and, um, 
he he took a test picture of of, you know, of the set and he turned and took one of me and, and James and and you know all I knew was it was like the two hundred million dollar the most expensive movie be, ever be made and Jimmy Miro was friends with my of mine and I think at the time Bob Eulin was supposed to be down there for longer but he had to go to leave to do a movie another Florida boy Flor- uh, Steadicam guy may, may guy. rest in peace I know he was the sweetest man in the world I never met him oh he's, he was he couldn't have been nicer. I heard a lot of stories. Yeah, great guy. So he left Titanic for he, another movie. He, he had he had committed to like Grumpy Old Men Two or something. Oh. I mean, something where he and it was a Cameron Steadicam, and and he felt bad. And Titanic went eighteen months past schedule. Yeah, so, and right. so and they and I could only commit to like ten days because I had something else to do. Oh, so you were there and then gone. Yeah, Bob. And then Jimmy came Bob in. Bob and I like literally like shook hands. Like he was on his way out. I was on my way in. Jimmy was on full time. Obviously, the whole Nova Scotia unit. He got he got tripped on LSD when the do you ever hear about that the, cater, yeah, the that caterers dose the lobster bisque was that real yeah the guy went to jail because that's like a basically attempted murder oh he went to jail yeah, oh yeah the caterer that but because James Cameron or whoever pissed him off and so the and last he meal the, the lemonade or the iced tea it was, or something it was lobster bisque he oh, put, was it he lobster? put like put angel dust or PCP or something in it and everybody was tripping like scared like scared the shit out of people but on the last day yeah they thought they were dying yeah 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 so that guy went to jail. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> I um, didn't know he went to jail. I've heard that story. Yeah, I didn't know the guy what, went to the jail. The charge that they got him on was basically, you know, when you drug somebody against their will and it's a it's a controlled substance like that, that's, yeah. that's like attempted murder. So Serious. It was, it was bad. Oh, yeah, very, and multiple very counts. Oh, yeah. And I think they probably went after him civilly, too, which is, you know. Well, if you see lobster, bi- I mean, I got to get lobster bisque. So if <laughs> I see lobster bisque on, uh, on the, on the, on the and catering and you're menu. you're in Nova Scotia, you know. Well, that's true. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, to, to to wrap up, there's there's some really. I mean, if you want, there's some really cool. You know, maybe a couple months ago on Instagram, that one and um, Deep Impact. I flew a uh, VistaVision camera on oh, the rig, you did. a real small one, made by this guy Greg Beaumont, the Bowcam. He was an employee of IL, ILM, and they needed because the cool thing about 35 millimeter goes through. You know, I get for lack of a better way to describe it vertically mm-hmm. and what they did with the bow cam is they turned the mag sideways it's basically an airy three they turn it sideways so what it does is it yields a negative that goes through sideways and it's like f- like well vista vision does yeah, that yeah, yeah. what i say ultra vision no you said bow cam yeah but his is just a smaller version of this yeah right? he he basically yeah. designed and built or had built um this vista vision um, cool. And so the negative is bigger, so they did all their visual effects on that. Yeah, yeah. And you, you don't degrade. Nowadays, we just laugh because we just shoot at 18K or 8K or whatever. 18K. So it's a different world. Um, <laughs> just on video. So, yeah, visual effects, the, those were the good old days. But I, And I was flying that with gyros because the sound didn't matter because the thing, uh, sa- the thing sounded like a blender because it was an Airy 3. Oh, yeah. And we recorded dialogue. And it was all post, you know, they, they ADR'd the whole thing. Um, so I had the gyro spun up on a, on a, on a um, beach in uh, the Hamptons in New York, Long mm. Island. So anyway, some cool pictures. Nice. Yeah. Well, you have to send me some. Yeah. Thanks for thanks All for right, coming brother. in, man. That was it good. Was, it gl- was super fun. I'm glad we made the time. And can we work together again? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, come on. I haven't worked. In, here's the sad part. I haven't worked. You were talking about Mr. Canada. I haven't worked in. I haven't driven myself to work since. January of 2012. Aside from that that thing we did on ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last, I did a Southland, January 2012. So it's been six and a half years since I've done a complete episode in L.A. Wow. That's sad. Yeah, that's a bummer. My goal is to hire all my favorite people, and 
Always, you know. I mean, that's what you want. To, that's well, let me know who that is next time you're in town, <laughs> so I can kill him. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll find something. <laughs> All right, buddy. And like, look, it gets to the point now where you know it gets so busy. I mean, you you had to go to Chicago because they're you know they need pe- you know good people. But that, oh, I was it, happy it, to go. It was winter. And it's oh, and it's happening <laughs> in Vancouver. They're running out of really talented people. I mean, yeah. Bruce Pasternak, camera operator friend of mine, went up and did a whole series as an A camera operator. He wasn't even like a specialist in Steadicam or you know some kind of. Special I know thing. seconds that went to Montreal. Yeah. Wow. seconds wow that's where i'm headed next oh wow yeah all right i'm turning this off all right brother thank you we're out good night <laughs> thanks again to guy b for coming down to the old home studio and hanging out for a few hours i had a really great time doing it i think he did too and i hope you like listening to it i'll see you next week with another new episode